Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through.
once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the conservative conversation. Uh, I want to welcome you to the special episode. Doing a little early tonight, so whether you're listening uh, live or to the podcast, I appreciate you uh, listening to the show. Uh, Bard's Logic brings to the grassroots, we the people's commentary and analysis of Biden's 100-day address. Now, my opening statements are going to be as the liar-in-chief Biden uh, tonight will lays out his agenda for the Harris regime. Biden already envisioned himself, as well as most Democrats, as the representatives of the world. Now, however, in this speech, he uh, ensconces his rhetoric in a shroud of Americanism, and we'll see that tonight. Uh, the occupier of the White House uh, pretends his agenda uh, will bring about unity for America and her citizens. However, the citizens that have not been misled by the media know this is not the truth. Uh, Bart's logic will lift this shroud to expose the regime's true intentions. And here are just some of Biden's policies, funded abortions, amnesty for illegal immigrants, a COVID-19 pandemic testing board, a green economy, Biden care so-called free college, and the Equity Act for transgenders. Now, the part of the fascist Democrat agenda that will not be highlighted during this, uh, this speech, this address, is about their power grab by adding D.C. and Puerto Rico as states, ending the filibuster, stacking the Supreme Court, nationalizing our elections or nationalizing our police force into a 21st century Gestapo. Now, we appreciate, the, as we have in the past, your uh, participation with us here at Bard's Logic. So we do ask, please consider sharing these podcasts with your friends, especially those who are apathetic, uh, discouraged, independent, and, yes, even liberal, especially liberals. Uh, so encourage them to join us and be part of the uh, grassroots discussion. And also, of course, don't forget to uh, check out the Bard's Logic newsroom at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. And we'd appreciate, you know, go ahead and subscribe to the newsroom uh, for weekly updates on topics you may hear on the show. And also follow Bard's Logic here on Blog Talk Radio for weekly reminders of the show. Uh, And also save the date, our special Monday night episode, May 10th, with interview with Adam Kinzinger's primary opponent, Jack Lombardi. Of course, always remember, Bard's Logic is the grassroots We the People show. Now, we're gearing up for the streaming of Biden's uh, address tonight. So if we cut short uh, our commentary prior to that happening, uh, we will do so. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I probably didn't eat dinner long enough ago uh, to see Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris uh, up in the joint (laughs) Congress and just in seeing those two. Unfortunately, uh, your host here is taking upon himself to actually see a video of this uh, as it's as I get it streamed live to you. But let's go ahead and open up uh, uh, the uh, call for Joseph. Uh, thank you very much co- uh, for coming to the show, Joseph. In this special edition, if we have to cut out when I see that uh, Comrade Biden has taken the stage, uh, I'll call it. Uh, for his uh, address, then uh, we'll cut and have to get the the audio going. Uh, but uh, thank you very much, Joseph, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? 
hanging in there. Always a pleasure to be on. How are you, Robert? Well, you know, I really, 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 really didn't want to do this. Uh, but, of course, as we've uh, covered other addresses in the past, even uh, with Obama, I felt it is uh, you know important for our audience, again, whether we're going to be contributing live uh, tonight or whether you're listening to the podcast. You know, it's unfortunately here the uh, – the speech, um, I'm going to be unfortunately watching it because I'm going to be uh, watching for body language. And I can't imagine this. It will be interesting to see if this one, this address lasts as long as ones, let's say, Biden has, not Biden, that uh, Obama has had in the past, or, or even Trump for that matter. So we'll see uh, if his stamina, or maybe more aptly put, the drugs that they probably put inside Biden – uh, we'll ask him for a full address. Uh, I would agree with that. Uh, I think if he speaks at most maybe an hour, if he's lucky, and then uh, Senator Tim Scott uh, will be given the uh, GOP rebuttal. Uh, it is sickening to yep. see uh, Kamala and Nancy Pelosi, uh, I would call them the uh, modern version of the axis of evil with no hyperbole sitting next to each other. And um, I know perception will always outweigh the truth, but I don't hate for the sake of hating. Uh, I was not raised that way. I don't have malice in my heart. I have love and compassion in my heart for those who are, who are, who are good people. I have no compassion for evil. And a big stigma and a big label that's put on conservatives is that we are a bunch of people who are full of hate. And that could be not furthermore from the truth. That's, that's not true whatsoever. What we hate is to see politicians such as Kamala and Nancy Pelosi stand up there with smiles on their face as we are witnessing our country in shambles and deteriorating rapidly every day at an accelerated pace with matters getting only worse and hundreds of millions of Americans paying for the sins of corruption in politics. And like I said many times on this show, what, his, what historic civilization has proven, even in the most ancient civilizations, is when power is stolen, it always produces a negative outcome. There are consequences for every actions, and 81 million Americans last year were robbed of their vote, were disenfranchised, continued to be spat on, continued to be stigmatized, labeled, mis- uh, mischaracterized, targeted, and it's a travesty. Uh, I think we're more divided more than ever at any point of us being a constitutional republic, I would even say more so than the Civil War. And so as conservatives or libertarians, I I don't want to give labels. I'd say more as patriotic Americans who truly love our country for what it is, not for what it has become or what it is transforming into. Patriotic Americans such as myself, such as you, such as uh, uh, the panelists on the show, we don't hate because we want to hate. We hate for valid reasons. 
We hate anyone who is going to stand in the way of our country and try to tear it apart or transform it into the next uh, European Union. That's what we hate. We hate any threats, domestic or international, that poses a threat to our constitutional republic and our democracy. That's what we hate. Anyone who is an enemy of our country and wants to transform us into a place that is not the land of the free and the home of the brave. And that's what we are facing today. Not by choice, but there's only two sides to this equation, Robert, and we're going to hear it when uh, the Biden regime speaks tonight because I pretty much have an idea what he's going to say, but I more like have an idea of what he's definitely not going to say. And he's not going to admit the failures in his first 100 days, the humanitarian crisis that we have at the border due to the Biden and Kamala's policy regime of open borders and reversing the Trump-era immigration policies, which under President Trump, we have the lowest migrants or crossing of illegal aliens in over 20 years. So what he's not going to admit is the failures. That's what the same thing the mainstream media is doing. They don't want to do that. Remind you of the good old days of Barack Obama and Biden when Obama was president, how the mainstream media shielded a man who was revered for hating America. That's how insane, that's how toxic politics has become in our country. Who would have ever thought the day that a man such as Barack Obama would not be revered for his charisma or his talent or his education, which I'm being facetious because I don't think he has any talent at all, but was revered because he hated America, because he publicly spat on America. He publicly demeaned America in front of our enemies and our allies, portraying American weakness. And when Donald Trump came to office, he got rid of all of that, looked our enemies straight in the face and says, China, North Korea, Iran, Russia, you're on notice. American weakness, the days of that are over. And so it's going to be interesting to see that and hear that, knowing that that's not going to be admitted. And I'll just bring up one more important point, and I'll defer back to you. It's been a year and a month that we've been living with this pandemic, or so-called pandemic. And you would think by now we would have made significant progress and strides to be going back to the norm of how things were in our country prior to the COVID era, prior to the global economy and our economy being shut down. You would think with all the vaccinations, today the numbers came out that over 96 million Americans have been vaccinated. You would think we'd be so much closer to, okay, let's get all the governors together from all 50 states collectively, even the ones who have lifted all the mandates, such as Florida and such as Mississippi and uh, 
such as uh, South Dakota, which actually never um, – South Dakota actually was the only state to never lock down at all. Uh, and maybe they can give some perspective to the other governors as well uh, as to you know how did they handle their, the, the crisis? How were they able to fully reopen? And have a conversation of, okay, there's no reason why we need these mask mandates. There's no reason why we need these lockdowns. And the reason why the Democrats want to call it a public health crisis or continue to perpetuate this lie is because for as long as they can say or paint the narrative that we have a public health crisis, the more justification they can give to abuse their powers and impose further sanctions and restrictions and lockdowns and further control us, drunk on power. That's some food for thought, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't matter what political affiliation you're part of. Just listen to common sense. And I'm going to say it one more time before I defer back to you. The reason why they continue to perpetuate that this is a public health crisis, although the numbers are low, the hospitalizations are low, the COVID deaths are low, 96 million Americans have been vaccinated, is because for as long as they can do that, the more justification to continue controlling us, to continue their drunk on power, to continue these draconian lockdown measures, and thwarts of toppling our economy. And that is scary. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we do live in scary times. And I'll defer back to you, Robert. Yeah, and, uh, he's probably going to be giving his speech in about uh, seven minutes. So let's go ahead and get some comments from Kelly before that uh, starts. Uh, and then we'll uh, just mute everybody's mics. Uh, well, I guess except mine because I'm streaming. But <laughs> so go ahead, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Um, again, if I interrupt, I apologize. But if we start seeing uh, Comrade Biden uh, on the screen here, I'll have to uh, mute folks' mics and, and get things set up for the the stream. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, there's Comrade Biden, Comrade Kamala, Comrade Bernie, Comrade uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, where's their vodka? I don't. I'm, I'm watching the screen right now. Here I'm watching it live, and it says six o'clock is when he's gonna. Night. Well, nine p.m. Eastern. So we got about um, eleven minutes before um, Biden shows up. But yeah, they're all. I'm, I'm just kind of describing the scene here. You have people wearing masks, masks, masks. Everybody wear masks. It's just to scare the American people. <clears throat> Again, I'm an expert in micron filtration. Was working on with some uh, filtration yesterday, and these masks are such a joke. They are an absolute joke. They're just a, a fear tactic. Anyway, so um, you've got people spread out in the halls of Congress. Uh, Kamali is up there standing where Biden would normally be, but standing right next to uh, Nancy Pelosi. And uh, oh, there's Pocahontas. They put her on the screen. That nice purple jacket she wears. And she might be an elegant lady and all, but don't know if I can call her Pocahontas. Well, I'll tell, tell you what, Kelly, but my family and I went to D.C. some years ago. I was probably sitting in the gallery for literally about two hours, and they were totally uh, 
politically exhausted from sitting there for two hours. I was still pretty much enamored just being there uh, until she showed up. And I was like, well, okay, time to leave. <laughs> but go ahead, Cal. <laughs> I couldn't stay. I couldn't sit, yeah, any, I I could well, sit and there and listen to her, but go ahead. So Schiff, it looked like Schiff was way up in the gallery, and they're spreading people about, you know, just create more fear in the American people. Um, is this would have been like the Spanish flu? Uh, I mean, people were dying in 12 hours, 12, 14 hours. This pandemic has not panned out like they, as far as actual deaths. Oh, but, well, we can get into the reporting method, how they switch that. That's another story. Anyway, all right. I mean, yeah, okay, virus is real, but just the panic is there's a control, manipulative, whatever, let's go to vote by mail. Speaking of mail, the election, the Arizona recount, I don't know if people have been watching that. Um, there was a <clears throat> on uh, Thursday, and I'll read it later, but Trump made a statement. And in the statement, he said the Democrats sent 73 Democrat, uh, Demo- uh, attorneys. The Democrats sent 73 attorneys to Maricopa County to try to stop the recount. And so that's getting more interesting. Um, I did watch some of the recount yesterday live, which you can do by, uh, they have like nine cameras throughout the Coliseum. I guess it's the Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And there's people in uh, blue shirts and orange shirts and green shirts and all sorts of different, probably because it's different tasks, probably a method of security and accuracy protocols so that Say the orange shirt people don't go near the green shirt, or the green shirt don't go near the red shirt table. That way, there's no tampering. Um, but here is an interesting article. Um, well, first of all, so they sent 73, the Democrats sent 73 attorneys, and then the judge ordered a bond of like one point something million to put up, and the Democrats wouldn't put up the bond. Like, oh, so you're not going to help recount? The judge says, well, we're going to order the recount anyway. And then there's Cyber Ninjas, who was contracted by the state legislature to um, come and look at everything forensically, including some of the machines. And then there is – there was another attempt on Friday to stop the recount. I'll read that article if I can find it quick here. Maricopa yeah, County they have people, uh, real quick, Yeah, they have people coming down. They're doing all their announcements and things of that nature. Um, I'm, I'm not going to play those because I'm not going to bore the audience with it. But just to know, we are, we are probably pretty close. Once we start seeing Comrade Biden start coming down the walkway, I guess I'll go ahead and get things geared up for the, uh, uh, for the, the streaming. Go ahead, Kelly. All right, while you're doing that. Okay, so. This is today's up from the Epoch Times. Judge rejects Democrats' bid to immediately halt Arizona 2020 election audit. An Arizona judge on April 28th rejected an attempt by the Arizona Democrat Party to immediately halt an audit of the 2020 election in the state's largest county. And by the way, Maricopa has about 4.1 million people. Maricopa County Superior Court Judge Daniel Martin said Democrats didn't provide substantive evidence of any breaches or threatened breaches of voter privacy. The lawsuit filed just before the audit started last week may ultimately succeed, the judge added, but it fell short of the strong likelihood of succeeding 
standards required for a temporary restraining order. Martin also expressed doubt that the balance of hardship in the case of the public policy favors the plaintiffs, two factors that are needed to grant the order. Um, heart, balancing hardship versus favors of the uh, public policy. It's interesting. Democrats must now decide whether to seek a review of the ruling from a higher court uh, or to advance to an evidentiary hearing to try to make their case for an injunction. Lawyers from the party had urged that Cyber Ninjas, one of four firms hired by the Arizona State Senate to conduct the audit, didn't properly train their personnel and hadn't implemented plans for security procedures such as securing ballots. Wow, all of a sudden the Democrats are really worried about securing the ballots and chain of custody and security protocols. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but the only exhibit they entered into the court was local news reports alleging lack of security at the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum in Phoenix where the audit is taking place. However, this uh, exhibit didn't contain enough evidence to convince the judge to halt the process. So they are going to try and try and try um, to stop it. Well, what does that say right there? Somebody's trying to stop a recount. Oh, oh, no, no, we're not trying to right. stop it. No, 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 no. We're just trying to make sure they have security protocols, chain of custody, the people are trained in security protocols. Really, when was the last time you heard a Democrat saying that kind of stuff? All right, so 73. Could you imagine the bill from 73 attorneys? See, that'd be uh, yeah. someone charge 500 bucks an hour, yeah, so I'm that sure could be... I'm sure they're using taxpayer dollars to do it. Well, it could be donations, but if they charge, oh, let's pick a number, $300 an hour, you take 73 times 300, let me run the math real quick, uh, 73 times $300 an hour, that's 20, 20, basically $22,000 an hour if all these attorneys are working on this simultaneously. In 10 hours, that's a couple hundred thousand, 200, I mean, that's insane. But one of the challenges they're going to have is they want to stop the recount. You know, instead of a candidate A versus candidate A, I'm sorry, A versus B, you want to do a recount and you have lawsuits challenging it. Well, it's different when you're when it's being done by the Arizona legislature. It's the Arizona legislature that's doing this. So they're going to have a hard time winning in court unless someone is a, a genius and found some type of loophole. So I, I think we're, it's going to take about six weeks to find out the results of this. But they're probably going to start with, was the mail-in ballot, does it have a crease? Because you fold them and put them in the envelope. All sorts of questions like that. So, anyway, I, I just thought uh, that's an update on Arizona. And uh, see if I can, I'll bring up the website, uh, the name of the website where you can watch the recount uh, later. So, back to you. Yeah, it looks like we're getting close. Um, one of the things we're going to, uh, I want to bring up, you know, as I, as I look on to, uh, you know, Twitter, and, I, and you know, folks, that I, uh, you know, been, been talking about this for uh, for at least weeks. 
Of course, you know that now you've got federal investigators going after, uh, you know, uh, Rudy Giuliani now. They're executing search warrants uh, in an apartment in Manhattan, supposedly something about uh, things going on with uh, Ukraine and uh, possible, possible violations of foreign lobbyist rules. Uh, let me tell you something. I've learned about this, and here it's coming. Where I'm telling you, you're gonna it's gonna be the American Gestapo coming up, where you're gonna have the the federal government trying to federalize uh, law enforcement and also using law enforcement to go after their political opponents. It's coming. Uh, do you mean it's already here, Giuliani? Yeah, it's about it's uh well it's on its way. Well, yeah, it's already here. You're right. And as uh, Giuliani's son said earlier uh, this morning, if the former lawyer of the former president can be subject to this discriminatory uh, and abuse of power of having his home raided and being vilified and being treated like a criminal. But guess what? Any and every American is also subject to that as well. And certain organizations had the heads up that there was going to be a raid, such as the Linking Project, uh, that there was going to be a raid on Giuliani uh, at 6 a.m., which happened earlier this morning, uh, Eastern Standard Time in New York. And what was interesting is he had a copy of Hunter Biden's hard drive, and he said to the FBI that there was some information of importance here uh, regarding Hunter Biden and the Ukraine scandal, and the FBI ignored it, and that was the one piece that they did not confiscate, and they just left it there. Uh, I, I, yeah. I thought that to be really disturbing. Red flags are up. Uh, the Justice Department and the FBI, for as long as they are under the Harris-Biden regime. It's not the FBI and the CIA that we, we once knew it to be. It, they're also oh, a bureaucracy that's not been corrupted. What? Well, I tell you what, I think it's, it's even before. I mean, I think that, I mean, look at how they acted during the Trump administration. I don't think that, I don't think that the, the FBI could have been trusted during the Trump administration. I mean, look at Comey. And look at Ray. I mean, they they, uh, they could be trusted. Uh, look at the upper echelon in the FBI e- even then. I think it's, this was happening even before the Biden regime. And and now, yeah, certainly, I think it's certainly going to get worse. I mean, we are we are going to. I think we. I really do. I think we're going to see before these next two, maybe four years are out, we're going to see an American Gestapo. They're going to get. I mean, they're going after Matt Gates. They're going after uh, you know. Trump, they're going after Giuliani. Anyone that uh, supported uh, Trump or anyone who, you know, especially, uh, and they're going to work their way down. And once they get all these, all the, you know, higher ups and politicians who supported them, they're going to come after the people. They're going to come. They're going to come after the Trump supporters. Exactly. Uh, another prime example was Roger Stone, who was a former advisor to President Trump. Yeah. And how they raided his place in Fort Lauderdale, and they destroyed his life, destroyed his his uh, reputation and character. And his only crime was that he was the former advisor to President Trump. And so what is happening today is what would happen in a dystopia. 
What's happening today is it's a purge of political dissidents. It's a purge of anyone who dares to disagree with the left. It reminds me of what Kelly was bringing up last week on the show of how Stalin – in 1936 or 1937, uh, pre-World War II era, he purged all of his major generals uh, and military strategists who did not toe the line. And I never thought I would see the day, and Kelly, maybe you could add to this before uh, Comrade Biden comes down here. I never thought I would see the day this would be happening in the freest country in the world. Uh, and this one I'm going to defer back to um, you, Robert, or you, Kelly. Well, it's going to have to be myself because we, we have Pianchi on. Now we get him on a few minutes before we uh, uh, stream to the uh, – and, yeah. And I, think, I, and I think that the election – real quick before I bring in Pianchi and then get to the speech, but uh, I, I think this would have happened so quickly as we're seeing it. It seems like we're just getting it's, – it's coming in a bum rush, so to speak. Is because I think the election of uh, of Trump scared these people, and they they had to accelerate their plans. That's what I think. Let's go ahead and bring in Pianchi. Uh, Pianchi, if I have to interrupt it because we're going to stream the uh, the speech, I apologize, but I do want to get some of your comments in prior to, and then we'll uh, after his uh, speech, we'll address whatever people want to call it. Uh, then we're going to do our, our commentary and analysis of it. So hopefully, you'll be able to stay uh, on for that. Go ahead. Well, I appreciate it very much. You know, the uh, Arizona judge made the right decision, of course, and also understand that it was a Democratic appointee. <clears throat> but the reason why it's the right decision because the Constitution gives that power to the state legislator. And that's kind of sort of the message that was being sent earlier on when you had state attorney bodies going to the Supreme Court and they sort of pushed it off. I think they should have made some comments to the effect that the state legislature is supposed to straighten a mess like that out. And, you know, one other thing that we should be concerned about, but I found a positive, seen a positive message come out of Joe Biden, and that's letting China have access to the technologies that's used to build these fast microprocessing chips. Uh, Presently, mm-hmm. China is up to about four, down about 14 nanoseconds, and uh, we're looking at trying to get down to three. Apple reportedly have bought uh, future production from one supplier, and it probably is over in Taiwan, for five nanosecond chips for their appliances. But here's the thing. Those should be made in the United States, period. Why would you let one of your competitors, evil competitors that that has demonstrated, have access to that sort of technology. It just doesn't make sense. Go ahead to your stream. Well, uh, now, yeah, Biden is uh, approaching the podium. Uh, so what I'm going to do now is uh, thank you, Bianca, and again, I hope everyone will be able to uh, stay on the uh, show to the uh, listen to the speech, and then we'll do our commentary and analysis of it. Uh, so hopefully uh, – it won't go too long. I, I can't imagine it will. Uh, right now he's passing out the speech, so I'm going to go ahead and get things geared up because I guess he's going to be talking soon. So I'll have to um, mute people's mics and then go ahead and, and get it uh, started. We'll see you guys uh, back and open up folks' mics uh, at the end of the address.
Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And Mitch and Chuck will understand it's good to be almost home. Down the hall. <laughs> anyway, thank you all. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. No president has ever said those words from this podium. No president has ever said those words. And the least deserving vice president in all of American history. First Lady, and her husband. Second gentlemen, Chief Justice, members of the United States Congress and the Cabinet, distinguished guests, my fellow Americans. While the uh, setting tonight is familiar, this gathering is just a little bit different. Reminder of the extraordinary times we're in. Throughout our history, presidents have come to this chamber to speak to Congress, to the nation, and to the world, to declare war, to celebrate peace, to announce new plans and possibilities. Tonight, I come to talk about crisis and opportunity, about rebuilding the nation, revitalizing our democracy and winning the future for America. I stand here tonight one day shy of the 100th day of my administration. 100 days since I took the oath of office and lifted my hand off our family Bible and inherited a nation we all did that was in crisis. The worst pandemic in a century. The worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, after just 100 days, I can report to the nation, America is on the move again. Turning parallel to possibility, crisis to opportunity, setbacks and the strength we all know life can knock us down, but in America, we never, ever, ever stay down. Americans always get up. Today, that's what we're doing. America's rising anew, choosing hope over fear, truth over lies, and light over darkness. After 100 days of rescue and renewal, America's ready for a takeoff, in my view. We're working again. Dreaming again, discovering again, and leading the world again. We have shown each other and the world that there's no quit in America. None. 100 days ago, America's house was on fire. We had to act. And thanks to the extraordinary leadership of Speaker Pelosi, Majority Leader Schumer, and the overwhelming support of the American people, Democrats, Independents, and Republicans, we did act. Together we passed the American Rescue Plan, one of the most consequential rescue packages in American history. 
We're already seeing the results. We're already seeing the results. After I promised we'd get 100 million COVID-19 vaccine shots in the people's arms in 100 days, we will have provided over 220 million COVID shots in those 100 days. Thanks to all the help of all of you. We're marshalling with your help, everyone's help. We're marshalling every federal resource. We've gotten vaccines in nearly 40,000 pharmacies and over 700 community health centers where the poorest of the poor can be reached. We're setting up community vaccination sites, developing mobile units to get to hard-to-reach communities. Today, 90% of Americans now live within five miles of a vaccination site. Everyone over the age of 16, everyone is now eligible to get vaccinated right now, right away. Go get vaccinated, America. Go and get the vaccination. They're available. They're eligible now. When I was sworn in on January 20th, less than 1% of the seniors in America were fully vaccinated against COVID-19. 100 days later, 70% of seniors in America, over 65, are protected, fully protected. Senior deaths from COVID-19 are down 80% since January, down 80% because of all of you. And more than half of all the adults in America have gotten at least one shot. A mass vaccination center in Glendale, Arizona, I asked the nurse, I said, what's it like? She looked at me. She said, it's like every shot. Is giving a dose of hope. A dose of hope. A dose of hope for an educator in Florida was a child suffering from autoimmune disease. Wrote to me. Said she's worried. She's worried about bringing the virus home. He said she then got vaccinated at a, at a large site in her car. He said she sat in her car when she got vaccinated and just cried. Cried out of joy and cried out of relief. Parents. Seeing the smiles on their kids' faces for those who are able to go back to school because of teachers and school bus drivers and cafeteria workers have been vaccinated. Grandparents hugging their children and grandchildren instead of pressing hands against the window to say goodbye. Means everything. Those things mean everything. You know, there's still, you all know it, you know better than any group of Americans. There's still more work to do to beat this virus. We can't let our guard down. But tonight, I can say, because of you, the American people, progress in the past 100 days against one of the worst pandemics in history has been one of the greatest logistical achievements, logistical achievements this country's ever seen. What else have we done in those first 100 days? We keep our commitment, Democrats and Republicans, of sending $1,400 rescue checks to 85% of American households. 
We already sent more than 160 million checks out the door. It makes a difference. You don't know people. For many people, it's making all the difference in the world. A single mom in Texas who wrote me, she said she couldn't work. And she said the relief check put food on the table and saved her and her son from eviction from their apartment. My grandmother in Virginia who told me she immediately took her granddaughter to the eye doctor. Something she said she put off for months because she didn't have the money. One of the defining images, at least from my perspective in this crisis, has been cars lined up, cars lined up for miles. And not people just barely ever start those cars, night cars, lined up for miles, waiting for a box of food to be put in their trunk. I don't know about you, but I didn't ever think I'd see that in America. And all of this is through no fault of their own. No fault of their own, these people are in this position. This way, the rescue plan is delivering food and nutrition assistance to millions of Americans facing hunger. And hunger is down sharply already. We're also providing rental assistance. You all know this. But the American people I want to make sure they understand. Keeping people from being evicted from their homes. Providing loans to small businesses that reopen and keep their employees on the job. Within these 100 days, an additional 800,000 Americans enrolled in the Affordable Care Act when I established a special sign-up period to do that. 800,000 in that period. We're making one of the largest one-time ever investments, ever, in improving health care for veterans. Critical investments to address the opioid crisis. And maybe most importantly, thanks to the American Rescue Plan, we're on track to cut child poverty in America in half this year. And in the process, while this is all going on, the economy created more than 1,300,000 new jobs in 100 days. More jobs in search. More jobs in the first hundred days than any president on record. The International Monetary Fund. The International Monetary Fund is now estimating our economy will grow at a rate of more than six percent this year. That will be the fastest pace of economic growth in this country in nearly four decades. America's moving, moving forward, but we can't stop now. We're in competition with China and other countries to win the 21st century. We're at a great inflection point in history. We have to do more than just build back better. We have to build back better. We have to compete more strenuously than we have. Throughout our history, and think about it, public investment in infrastructure has literally transformed America, our attitudes as well as our opportunities. The Transcontinental Railroad, 
interstate highways. The United States, two oceans, and brought a totally new age of progress to the United States of America. Universal public schools and college aid opened wide the doors of opportunity. Scientific breakthroughs took us to the moon. Now we're on Mars discovering vaccines, gave us the Internet, and so much more. These are investments we made together as one country, and investments that only the government was in a position to make. Time and again, they propel us into the future. That's why I proposed the American Jobs Plan, a once-in-a-generation investment in America itself. This is the largest jobs plan since World War II. Creates jobs, upgrade our transportation infrastructure. Jobs, modernizing our roads, business, highways. Jobs, building ports and airports, rail cars, transit lines. It's clean water. And today, up to 10 million homes in America and more than 400,000 schools and child care centers have pipes of lead in them, including drinking water. A clear and present danger to our children's health. American Jobs Plan creates jobs replacing 100% of the nation's lead pipes and service lines so every American can drink clean water. In the process, we'll create thousands and thousands of good-paying jobs. It creates jobs connecting every American with high-speed Internet, including 35% of the rural America that still doesn't have it. It's going to help our kids and our business to succeed in the 21st century economy. And I'm asking the vice president to lead this effort, if you will, because I know it'll get done. Creates jobs, building a modern power grid. Our grids are vulnerable to storms, hacks, catastrophic failures, with tragic results, as we saw in Texas and elsewhere during the winter storms. The American Jobs Plan will create jobs away thousands of miles of transmission lines needed to build a resilient and fully clean grid. We can do that. Look, American Jobs Plan will help millions of people get back to their jobs and back to their careers. Two million women have dropped out of the workforce during this pandemic. Two million. And too often because they couldn't get the care they needed to care for their child or care for an elderly parent who needs help. 800,000 families are on the Medicare waiting list right now to get home care for their aging parent or loved one with disability. If you think it's not important, check out in your own district, Democrat or Republican, Democrat or Republican voters. Their great concern, and almost as much as their children, is taking care of an elderly loved one who can't be left alone. Medicare is contemplated, but this plan is going to help those families and create jobs for our caregivers with better wages and better benefits, continuing the cycle of growth 
For too long, we fail to use the most important word when it comes to meeting the climate crisis. Jobs. 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 For me, when I think climate change, I think jobs. American Jobs Plan has put engineers and construction workers to work building more energy-efficient buildings and homes. Electrical workers, IBEW members installing 500,000 charging stations along our highways so we can own, so we can own the electric farm market. Farmers, farmers planting cover crops so they can reduce the carbon dioxide in the air and get paid for doing it. Look, think about it. There is simply no reason why the blades for wind turbines can't be built in Pittsburgh instead of Beijing. No reason. None. No reason. Hey, folks, there's no reason why American, American workers can't lead the world in the production of electric vehicles and batteries. There is no reason. That is capacity. And the brightest, best-paying people in the world. American Jobs Plan is going to create millions of good-paying jobs, jobs Americans can raise a family on, as my dad would then say, with a little breathing room. And all the investments in the American Jobs Plan will be guided by one principle, by America. By America. And I might know parenthetically. That does not it does not violate any trade agreement. It's been the law since the 30s by Americans. American tax dollars are going to be used to buy American products made in America to create American jobs. That's the way it's supposed to be and it will be in this administration. And I made it clear to all my cabinet people, their ability to give exemptions has been strenuously limited. It will be American products. Now, I know some of you at home are wondering whether these jobs are for you. So many of you, so many of the folks I grew up with feel left behind, forgotten, and an economy is so rapidly changing. It's frightening. I want to speak directly to you. Because you think about it. And that's what people are most worried about. Can I fit in? Independent experts estimate the American Jobs Center will add millions of jobs and trillions of dollars to economic growth in the years to come. It is a it is an eight-year program. These are good-paying jobs that can't be outsourced. Nearly 90% of the infrastructure jobs created in the American Jobs Plan do not require a college degree. 75% don't require an associate's degree. The American Jobs Plan is a blue-collar blueprint to build America. That's what it is. And recognizes 
something I've always said, Mitch Chamber and the others. Good guys and women on Wall Street, but Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class built the country, and unions built the middle class. So that's why I'm calling on Congress to pass Protect the Right to Organize Act, the PRO Act, and send it to my desk so we can support the right to unionize. And by the way, I'm thinking about sending things to my desk. <laughs> Let's raise the minimum wage to $15. No one, no one working 40 hours a week, no one working 40 hours a week should live below the poverty line. We need to ensure greater equity and opportunity for women. And while we're doing this, let's get the Paycheck Fairness Act to my desk as well, equal pay. They spent much too long. And if you wonder whether it's too long, look behind me. And finally, American jobs found me the biggest increase in non-defense research and development on record. We'll see more technological change. And some of you know more about this than I do. We'll see more technological change in the next 10 years than we saw in the last 50. And so rapidly. Artificial intelligence, there's so much more is changing. And we're falling behind the competition with the rest of the world. Decades ago, we used to invest 2% of our gross domestic product in America. 2% of our gross domestic product in research and development. Today, Mr. Secretary, that's less than 1%. China and other countries are closing in fast. We have to develop and dominate the products and technologies of the future. Advanced batteries, biotechnology, computer chips, clean energy. The Secretary of Defense can tell you, and those of you on work in NASA security just know, the Defense Department has an agency called DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. The people who set up before I came here, and that's been a long time ago, to develop breakthroughs that enhance our NASA security. That's their only job. And it's a semi-separate agency. It's under the Defense Department. It's led to everything from the discovery of the Internet to GPS and so much more that's enhanced our security. The National Institute of Health, the NIH, I believe, could create a similar advanced research projects agency for health. And now we what it would do. It would have a singular purpose, develop breakthroughs to prevent, detect, and treat diseases like Alzheimer's, diabetes, and cancer. I'll still never forget when we passed the cancer proposal in the last year as vice president. Almost $9 million going to NIH. And excuse the point of personal privilege. I'll never forget you standing, Mitch, and saying, name it after my deceased son. And then a lot. But so many of us 
and the three sons, daughters, and relatives that died of cancer. I'm thinking of no more worthy investment. I know of nothing that is more bipartisan. So let's end cancer as we know it. It's within our power. It's within our power to do it. Investments in jobs and infrastructure, like the ones we're talking about, have often had bipartisan support in the past. Vice President Harris and I met regularly in the Oval Office with Democrats and Republicans and discussed the jobs plan. And I applaud a group of Republican senators who just put forward their own proposal. So let's get to work. I wanted to lay out before the Congress my plan before we got into the deep discussion. I'd like to meet of those who have ideas that are different, they think are better. I welcome those ideas. But the rest of the world is not waiting for us. I just want to be clear. From my perspective, doing nothing is not an option. Look. We can't be so busy competing with one another that we forget the competition that we have with the rest of the world to win the 21st century. Secretary Blinken, I tell you, I spent a lot of time with President Xi. Traveled over 17,000 miles with him. Spent, they come over 24 hours in private discussions with him. When he called to congratulate him, we had a two-hour discussion. He's deadly earnest about becoming the most significant consequential nation in the world. He and others, autocrats, think that democracy can't compete in the 21st century. Metocracies. It takes too long to get consensus. Twinned competition for the future, in my view, we also need to make a once-in-a-generation investment in our families and our children. That's why I've introduced the American Families Plan tonight, which addresses four of the biggest challenges facing American families and in turn America. First is access to good education. When this nation made 12 years of public education universal in the last century, it made us the best educated best prepared nation in the world. It's, I believe, the overwhelming reason that propelled us to where we got in the 21st, in the 20th century. But the world's caught up or catching up. We're not waiting. I would say parenthetically, if we were sitting down and set a bipartisan committee together and said, okay, we're going to decide what we do in terms of government providing for free education. I wonder whether we think, as we did in the 20th century, that 12 years is enough in the 21st century. I doubt it. 12 years is no longer enough today to compete with the rest of the world in the 21st century. That's why my American Families Plan guarantees four additional years of public education to every person in America, starting as early as we can. The great universities in this country have conducted studies of 
last 10 years. It shows that adding two years of universal high-quality preschool to every three-year-old and four-year-old, no matter what background they come from, puts them in a position to be able to compete all the way through 12 years and increases exponentially their prospect of graduating going on beyond graduation. Research shows when a young child goes to school, not daycare, they're far more likely to graduate from high school and go to college or something after high school. When you add two years of free community college on top of that, you begin to change the dynamic. You can do that. And we'll increase Pell Grants and invest in historical black colleges and universities, tribal colleges, minority-serving institutions. The reason is they don't have the endowments. But the students are just as capable of learning about cybersecurity, just as capable of learning about metallurgy, all the things that are going on that provide those jobs of the future. Jill is a community college professor who teaches today as First Lady. She's long said If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Joe, any country that out educates us will compete us. Should be deeply involved in leading this effort. Thank you, Jill. Second thing we need. American Families Plan will provide access to quality, affordable child care. We guarantee proposing the legislation to guarantee that low and middle income families will pay no more than 7% of their income for high quality care for children up to the age of five. The most part trust working families won't have to spend a dime. Third, the American Families Plan will finally provide up to 12 weeks of paid leave and medical leave, family medical they're one of the few industrial countries in the world. No one should have to choose between a job and a paycheck or taking care of themselves and their loved ones, a parent or spouse or child. And fourth, the American Family Plan puts directly into the pockets of millions of Americans. In March, we expanded tax credits for every child in a family up to $3,000 per child if they're under six years of age, I mean, excuse me, under, over six years of age, and $3,600 for children over six years of age. With two parents, two kids, that's $7,200 in the pocket to get a, help take care of your family. And that will help more than 65 million children and help cut child care poverty in half. And we can afford it. And we did that in the, in, the, in the last piece of legislation we passed. 
Well, let's extend that child care tax credit at least through the end of 2025. <laughs> the American Rescue Plan lowered health care premiums for 9 million Americans who buy their coverage under the Affordable Care Act. I know that's really popular this side of the aisle. But let's make that provision permanent so their premiums don't go back up. In addition to my family's plan, I'm going to work with Congress to address this year other critical priorities for American families. The Affordable Care Act has been a lifeline for millions of Americans, protecting people with pre-existing conditions, protecting women's health, and the pandemic has demonstrated how badly, how badly it's needed. Let's lower deductibles for working families on the Affordable Care and Affordable Care Act. And let's lower prescription drug costs. We don't have to do this. In the last state we had that as an object. We all know how outrageously expensive drugs are in America. In fact, we pay the highest prescription drug prices of anywhere in the world, right here in America. Nearly three times. For the same drug, nearly three times what other countries pay. We have to change that, and we can. Let's do what we talked about for all the years I was down here in this, in this body. In Congress, let's give Medicare the power to save hundreds of billions of dollars by negotiating lower drug prescription prices. And by the way, they won't just they won't just set people on Medicare. Lower prescription drug costs for everyone, and the money we save, which is billions of dollars can go to strengthen the Affordable Care Act and expand Medicare coverage benefits without costing taxpayers an additional penny. It's within our power to do it. Let's do it now. We've talked about it long enough. Democrats and Republicans, let's get it done this year. This is all about a simple premise. Health care should be a right, not a privilege in America. So, how do we pay for my jobs and family plan? I made it clear we can do it without increasing the deficit. Let's start with what I will not do. I will not impose any tax increase on people making less than $400,000. It's, but it's time for corporate America and the wealthiest 1% of Americans to just begin to pay their fair share. Just their fair share. Sometimes I have arguments with my friends in the Democratic Party. I think you should be able to become a billionaire and a millionaire. Hey, your fair share. The recent study shows the 55 of the nation's biggest corporations paid zero federal tax last year. Those 55 corporations made in excess of $40 billion in profit. A lot of companies 
also evade taxes through tax havens in Switzerland and the Bermuda and the Cayman Islands. And they benefit from tax loopholes and deductions for offshoring jobs and shifting profits overseas. It's not right. We're going to reform corporate taxes so they pay their fair share and help pay for the public investments their businesses will benefit from as well. We're going to reward work, not just wealth. We take the top tax bracket for the wealthiest 1% of Americans, those making over $400,000 or more, back up to where it was when George W. Bush was president when he started, 39.6%. That's where it was when George W. was president. We're going to get rid of the loopholes, allow Americans to make more than a million dollars a year and pay a lower tax rate on their capital gains than Americans who receive a paycheck. We're only going to affect three-tenths of 1% of all Americans by that action, three-tenths of 1%. And the IRS is going to crack down on millionaires and billionaires who cheat on their taxes. It's estimated to be billions of dollars. I think tanks are left, right, and center. I'm not looking to punish anybody. But I will not add a tax burden, additional tax burden to the middle class in this country. They're already paying enough. I believe what I propose is fair. Fiscally responsible. And it raises revenue to pay for the plans I propose and will create millions of jobs that will grow the economy and enhance our financial standing in the country. But here's someone say, they don't want to raise taxes on the wealthiest 1% for corporate America. Ask them, whose taxes you want to raise? Instead, who's they going to cut? Look, a big tax cut of 2017. Remember, it was supposed to pay for itself. That was how it was sold. And generate vast economic growth. Instead, it added $2 trillion to the deficit. It was a huge windfall for corporate America and those at the very top. Instead of using a tax saving to raise wages and invest in research and development, it poured billions of dollars into the pocket of CEOs. In fact, the pay gap between CEOs and their workers is now among the largest in history. According to one study, CEOs make 320 times what the average worker in their corporation makes. Used to be in the below 100. The pandemic has only made things worse. 20 million Americans lost their job in the pandemic, working in middle-class Americans. At the same time, roughly 650 billionaires in America saw their net worth increase by more than $1 trillion in the same exact period. Let me say it again. 650 people increased their wealth by more than $1 trillion during this pandemic. And they're now worth more than $4 trillion. My fellow Americans, trickle down. Trickle down economics has never worked. It's time to grow the economy from the bottom and the middle out. You know, 
There's a broad consensus of economists left, right, and center, and they agree what I'm proposing will help create millions of jobs and generate historic economic growth. These are among the highest values investments we can make as a nation. I've often said our greatest strength is the power of our example, not just the example of our power. In my conversations with world leaders, and I've spoken over 38, 40 of them now, I've made it known. I've made it known that America's back. And you know what they say? The comments I hear most of all from them, they say, we see America's back, but for how long? But for how long? My fellow Americans, we have to show not just that we're back, but we're back to stay, and that we aren't going to go alone. We're going to do it by meeting with our allies. No one nation can deal with all the crises of our time, from terrorism to nuclear proliferation, mass migration, cybersecurity, climate change, as well as experiencing what we're experiencing now, pandemics. There's no wall high enough to keep any virus out. And our own vaccine supply, as it grows to meet our needs, and we're meeting them, we'll become an arsenal for vaccines for other countries, just as America is an arsenal for democracy for the world, and in consequence, influence the world. But every American will have access before that occurs. Every American has access to be fully covered with COVID-19 for the vaccines we have. Look, the climate crisis is not our side of the it's a global fight. The United States accounts, as all of you know, less than 15% of carbon emissions. The rest of the world accounts for 85%. That's why I kept my commitment to rejoin the Paris Accord, because if we do everything perfectly, it's not going to only matter. I kept my commitment to convene a climate summit right here in America, from all the major economies of the world, China, Russia, India, European Union, and I said I'd do it in my first 100 days. I want to be very blunt about it. I've had my attempt was to make sure that the world could see there was a consensus that we are at an inflection point in history. In Texas, consensus is if we act to save the planet, we can create millions of jobs and economic growth and opportunity to raise the standard of living almost everyone around the world. If you've watched any of it and you were all busy, I'm sure you didn't have much time. That's the first thing every nation said, even the ones that aren't doing their fair share. The investments I proposed tonight also advance the foreign policy, in my view, the benefits the middle class. That means making sure every nation Plays by the same rules in the global economy, including China. My discussions in my discussions with President Xi, I told him, we welcome the competition. We're not looking for conflict, but I made absolutely clear that we will defend America's interests across the board. America will stand up to unfair trade practices and undercut American workers and American industries like subsidies from state-to-state-owned operations and enterprises and the theft 
for American technology and intellectual property. I also told President Xi that we'll maintain a strong military presence in the Indo-Pacific, just as we do with NATO and Europe. Not to start a conflict, but to prevent one. I told them what I said to many world leaders, that America will not back away from our commitments, our commitment to human rights and fundamental freedoms and our alliances. And I pointed out to no responsible American president could remain silent when basic human rights are being so blatantly violated. An American president, president has to represent the essence of what our country stands for. America is an idea, the most unique idea in history. We are created, all of us equal. It's who we are. And we cannot walk away from that principle and in fact say we're dealing with the American idea. With regard to Russia, I know it concerns some of you, but I made very clear to Putin that we're not going to seek excellent ex excuse me, escalation, but their actions will have consequences. They turn out to be true, and they turned out to be true. So I responded directly proportionally to Russia's interference in our elections and the cyber attacks on our government and our business. They did both of these things, and I told them we would respond, and we have. But we can also cooperate when it's our mutual interest. We did it when we extended the New START Treaty on Nuclear Arms, and we're working to do it on climate change. But he understands we will respond. On Iran and North Korea, nuclear programs that present serious threats to American security and the security of the world. We're going to be working closely with our allies to address the threats posed by both of these countries through, through diplomacy as well as stern deterrence. And American leadership means ending the forever war in Afghanistan. We have we have without hyperbole the greatest fighting force in the history of the world. I'm the first president in 40 years and knows what it means to have a son serving in a war zone. Today, we have service members serving in the same war zone as their parents did. We have service members in Afghanistan who are not yet born on 9-11. The war in Afghanistan, as we remember the debates here, were never meant to be multi-generational undertakings of nation building. We went to Afghanistan to get terrorists. The terrorists attacked us on 9-11. And we said we would follow Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell to do it. You've been in the upper Kronar Valley, you've kind of seen the gates of hell. And we delivered justice to bin Laden. We degraded the terrorist threat of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And after 20 years of value, valor, and sacrifice, it's time to bring those troops home. Look. Even as we do, we'll maintain over-the-horizon capacity to suppress future threats to the homeland. Make no mistake, in 20 years, terrorism has metastasized. 
the threat has evolved way beyond Afghanistan. Those who are in the intelligence committees, the foreign relations committee, defense committees, you know well, we have to remain vigilant against the threats of the United States wherever they come from. Al-Qaeda and ISIS are in Yemen, Syria, Somalia, other places in Africa, in the Middle East, and beyond. And we won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today, white supremacist terrorists. We're not going to ignore that either. My fellow Americans, look, we have to come together to heal the soul of this nation. It was nearly a year ago before her father's funeral when I spoke with Gianna Floyd, George Floyd's young daughter. She's a little tight, so I was kneeling down to talk to her so I could look her in the eye. She looked at me and she said, my daddy changed the world. Well, after the conviction of George Floyd's murderer, we can see how right she was if, if we have the courage to act as a Congress. We've all seen the knee of injustice on the neck of black Americans. Now's our opportunity to make some real progress. The vast majority of men and women wearing a uniform and a badge serve our communities and they serve them honorably. I know them. I know they want... I know they want to help meet this moment as well. My fellow Americans, we have to come together to rebuild trust between law enforcement and the people they serve root out systemic racism in our criminal justice system, and when act we reform in George Floyd's name and passed the House already. I know Republicans have their own ideas and are engaged in a very productive discussion with Democrats in the Senate. We need to work together to find a consensus. But let's get it done next month by the first anniversary of George Floyd's death. The country supports this reform, and Congress should act, should act. We have a giant opportunity to bend the arc of the moral universe toward justice, real justice. And with the plans outlined tonight, we have a real chance to root out systemic racism that plagues America and American lives in other ways. A chance to deliver real equity, good jobs, good schools, affordable housing, Clean air, clean water, being able to generate wealth and pass it down to generations because you have an access to purchase a house. Real opportunities in the lives of more Americans, black, white, Latino, Asian Americans, Native Americans. Look, I also want to thank the United States Senate for voting 94 to 1 to pass the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act to protect Asian American and Pacific Islanders. You can see on television the viciousness of the hate crimes we've seen over the past year, past year and for too long. I urge the House to do the same and send that legislation to my desk, which I will gladly, anxiously sign. I also hope Congressman get to my desk 
Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. All transgender Americans watching at home, especially young people, are so brave. I want to know your president has your back. Another thing, let's authorize the Violence Against Women Act, which is in law for 27 years. Twenty-seven years ago, I wrote it. It will close the act that has to be authorized now. It will close the boyfriend loophole to keep guns out of the hands of abusers. The court order said this is an abuser. You can't own a gun. It's to close that loophole that exists. You know, it's estimated that 50 women are shot and killed by an intimate partner every month in America, 50 a month, this passing in face of lives. I need not tell anyone this, but gun violence has become an epidemic in America. The flag at the White House is still flying at half mast for the eight victims of the mass shooting in Georgia, when 10 more lives were taken in the mass shooting in Colorado. And in the week in between those two events, 250 other Americans were shot dead in the streets of America. 250 shot dead. I know how hard it is to make progress on this issue. In the 90s, we passed universal background checks. A ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines that hold 100 rounds that can be fired off in seconds. We beat the NRA. Mass cities and gun violence decline. Check out the report over 10 years. But in the early 2000s, the law expired. We have seen daily bloodshed since. I'm not saying that the law continued. We wouldn't see bloodshed. More than two weeks ago in the Rose Garden, Surrounded by some of the bravest people I know, the survivors and families who lost loved ones to gun violence, I laid out several of the Department of Justice actions that are being taken to impact on this epidemic. One of them is banning so-called ghost guns. These are homemade guns built from a kit that includes directions how to finish the firearm. The parts have no serial numbers, so they show up at crime scenes and they can't be traced. The buyers of these ghost gun kits aren't required to pass any background check. Anyone from a criminal terrorist could buy this kit and within 30 minutes have a weapon that's lethal, but no more. And I have everything in my power to protect the American people from this epidemic of gun violence, but it's time for Congress to act as well. Look, I don't want to become confrontational, but we need more Senate Republicans to join the overall majority of Democratic colleagues and close the loopholes required in background check purchases of guns. We need a ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Don't tell me it can't be done. We did it before, and it worked. Talk to most responsible gun owners and hunters. They'll tell you there's no possible justification for having 100 rounds in a weapon. 
I think you're wearing Kevlar vests. I must tell you that there are too many people today who are able to buy a gun but shouldn't be able to buy it. These kinds of reasonable reforms have overwhelming support from the American people, including many gun owners. The country supports reform and Congress should act. It shouldn't be a red or blue issue. And no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. In the very beginning, there were certain guns, weapons, that could not be owned by Americans. Certain people could not own those weapons ever. We're not changing the Constitution. For being reason, I think this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. I think it's an American issue. And here's what else we can do. Immigration has always been a sensible America. Let's end our exhausting war of immigration. For more than 30 years, politicians have talked about immigration reform and we've done nothing about it. It's time to fix it. On day one of my presidency, I kept my commitment to send a comprehensive immigration bill for the United States Congress. If you believe we need to secure the border, pass it because it has a lot of money for high-tech border security. If you believe in a pathway to citizenship, pass it. Over 11 million undocumented folks, the vast majority of here, overstaying visas, pass it. We can actually, if you actually want to solve a problem, I send a bill to you, take a close look at it. I also have to get at the root problem of why people are fleeing, particularly the, to our southern border from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. The violence, the corruption, the gangs, the political instability, hunger, hurricanes, earthquakes, natural disasters. When I was president, my president, when I was vice president, the president asked me to focus on providing help needed to address the root causes of migration. And it helped keep people in their own countries instead of being forced to leave. The plan was working, but the last administration decided it was not worth it. I'm restoring the program and asked Vice President Harris to lead our diplomatic effort to take care of this. I have absolute confidence in the general. Look, if you don't like my plan, let's at least pass what we all agree on. Congress needed to pass legislation this year to finally secure protection for dreamers. The young people are only known in America as a whole. And permanent protection for immigrants who are here on temporary protective status who came from countries beset by man-made and natural-made violence and disasters. Hold the populated citizens and farm workers and put food on our tables. Look, immigrants have done so much for America during this pandemic and throughout our history. The country supports immigration reform. We should act. Let's argue over it. Let's debate it. But let's act. And if we truly want to restore the soul of America, we need to protect the sacred right to vote. Most people more people voted in the last presidential election than any time in American history in the middle of the worst pandemic ever. 
is to be celebrated. Instead, it's being attacked. Congress has passed H.R. 1, and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act will send it to my desk right away. The country supports it. And Congress should act now. As we gather here tonight, the image of a violent mob assaulting this capital, desecrating our democracy, remains vivid in all our minds. Lives have put at risk many of your lives. Lives were lost. Extraordinary courage was summoned. The insurrection was an existential crisis, a test of whether our democracy could survive, and it did. But the struggle is far from over. The question of whether our democracy will long endure is both ancient and urgent, as old as our republic, still white of the day. Can our democracy deliver on its promise that all of us, created equal in the image of God, had a chance to lead lives of dignity, respect, and possibility? Can our democracy deliver the most, the most pressing needs of our people? Can our democracy overcome the lies, anger, hate, and fears that have pulled us apart? America's adversaries, the autocrats of the world, are betting we can't. And I promise you they're betting we can't. They believe we're too full of anger and division and rage. They look at the images of the mob that assaulted the Capitol as proof that the sun is setting on American democracy. But they're wrong. You know it, I know it. We have to prove them wrong. We have to prove democracy still works, that our government still works, and we can deliver for our people. In our first 100 days together, we've actually restored people's faith in democracy to deliver. We're vaccinating the nation. We're creating hundreds of thousands of new jobs. We're delivering real results to people. They can see it, feel it in their own lives. Opening doors of opportunity, guaranteeing some more fairness and justice. That's the essence of America. That's democracy in action. Our Constitution opens to the words as straight as it sounds. We the people. Well, it's time to remember that we, the people, are the government, you and I, not some force in the distant capital, not some powerful force that we have no control over. It's us. It's we, the people. In another era, when our democracy is tested, Franklin Roosevelt reminded us, in America, we do our part. We all do our part. That's all I'm asking. Now we do our part, all of us. If we do that, we will meet the center challenge of the age by proving that democracy is durable and strong. Autocrats will not win the future. We will. America will. And the future belongs to America. So I stand here tonight before you in a new and vital hour of life and democracy of our nation. And I can say with absolute confidence, I have never been more confident or optimistic about America, not because I'm president, because of what's happening with the American people. We've stared into the abyss of insurrection and autocracy, pandemic and pain, and we, the people, did not flinch. The very moment our adversaries were certain we'd pull apart and fail, we came together, we united. With light and hope, we summoned a new strength, new resolve to position us to win the competition of the 21st century. On our way to a union more perfect, more prosperous, and more just. 
in one people, in one nation, in one America. Folks, they've told every world leader I've ever met with over the years, it's never, ever, ever been a good bet to bet against America, and it still isn't. For the United States of America, there is not a single thing, nothing, nothing beyond our capacity. We can do whatever we set our minds with if we do it together. So let's begin to get together. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Thank you for your patience. Well, there you have it, the 46th president of the United States, Joseph R. His first address to Congress, not called the State of the Union. All right, as Kelly blew up my uh, my phone with text, I'm going to go ahead, Kelly. Uh, you've had a lot to say, and we may or not, may not bring uh, the GOP response in. We'll see. Um, we still got about an hour and 15 minutes, so I'd like to get your commentary, folks. But, uh, Kelly, since you're blowing up my phone with texts, it seems like you've got uh, had a lot to say about the speech. So uh, I'm opening up the mic. Uh, so go ahead, Kelly. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, as I said, you blew, you blew up my phone, so, get, so go ahead. I've, I've taken a lot of notes. Uh, we may or may not be able to co- cover all of it again. I mean, I know, Joseph, you, you, you kind of wanted to do the Republican response. Maybe we'll get to that um, if you guys really want to hear it. Um, I'd rather hear you guys, uh, your guys' <laughs> your, uh, comments, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we might be able to uh, put some of it in. Uh, go ahead, Kelly. I think Biden had a senior slip. He said, you know, he kept saying our democracy, our democracy, our republic. He actually did say our republic. (laughs) And I think I heard early on he said, uh, we've created 100 million jobs. But, dude, that's like a third of the country. (laughs) I'm scratching my head. I think he said like 220 million shots were done in – a hundred days, and I don't. I mean, that's a third. That's a third of the two thirds of the country. I don't think two thirds of the country got COVID shot. I think it's around estimates are on 150 million. But uh, let's see. He wants to do a lot in of a hundred days. Well, he's taking credit for what Trump already set up. So, I mean, like, well, yeah, whatever. I still don't think half the. I mean. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe half the country has gotten the COVID side. I'm having a hard time believing that, but go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, yeah, please take the shot. Take the shot and die. <laughs> Sorry to be so negative on the shot. You should probably wait. Well, All right, so then. Approved, it's not even fully oh, approved by the FDA. It's a clinical trial is what it is. And Congress passed a law that you can't sue the vaccine companies. So be your guinea pig without it, with uh, where the, the drug companies have immunity. Um, so I'm – let's see. Oh, a number of points. Uh, terrorism, let's remain vigilant. Staying in your basement <laughs> and wearing your mask. And stay six feet apart. We must all do our fair share, comrade. Oh, he forgot to tell you about the other part of the family plan. 
um, their comrade. With every uh, family care package or family package that he's, you get a case of vodka. <laughs> he didn't mention that. Uh, I'm having trouble believing that 50 a month uh, women are murdered uh, by their domestic partners. I'm like, seriously? Lesbians must be very mad at each other. I don't know. <laughs> Try to add some humor to this whole thing. And where do you get that 50 per month? And did he pull that out of his butt? More people die in car accidents than by getting shot. And then he said, yeah, some say it's 30 minutes to get a gun. <laughs> uh, what state is that? Because I want to move there and <laughs> get my gun in 30 minutes. I think Oregon you can. Well, um, well, 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 Kelly, I actually got a gun pretty quick. When I bought my when I bought my gun, uh, I just filled out some paperwork. They checked something out online, and I, I was actually in and out pretty quick. <laughs> so I mean, there may I mean I'm in Ohio, and not that I want the gun laws to change in Ohio, but I mean I missed it. I did. I was able to buy a handgun. It was just a handgun, but I was able to get a handgun uh, pretty quickly. So <laughs> I don't I don't really know about yeah. what we could say about that one. Well, the uh, um, California, I think it's like a, it's either eight or ten day. They call it a cool down period. Well, wait a minute. What if a woman has a domestic partner that's been threatening and is violence? How how can we quickly get her a gun so that she can defend herself in the home against her domestic domestic partner? Um, see that that's kind of creepy. I know. Three liberals that bought guns because of their circumstances. Um, yeah, I, I, his numbers aren't making sense. Hundreds of thousands of new jobs. Didn't you say a hundred million new jobs already created? Um, FDR said this and that. We must all do our part. Well, FDR he did his part by calling America a republic. How can socialism win the twenty-first century competition? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you're taking a knife to a gunfight. How? What? Sixty-nine is the longest the socialist nation lasted. That was Russia. God happened to have a sense of humor, I think, with sixty-nine there. All right. So, um, oh yeah, we got to get rid of systemic racism too. The Republicans did that in the Civil Rights Act in the 1960s, and back then you Democrats opposed them. It's too late, guys. Sorry, you missed the bus. Um, transgender, transgender and gays. Don't we all have fluffy feelings now? Just fluffy, fluffy. Uh, some other points here. Uh, let's see. I was just like, this is this is kind of like a broken record of the Democrats. Socialism, socialism. Let's just spend a bazillion dollars. Oh, let's collect a whole bunch of money so we can spend double that amount. Whatever we collect, all this. Oh, we got to drink clean water, dude. We, we have clean water all over the country, except maybe Detroit. Um, oh, we want to do highways. We want to do power infrastructure. Wait a minute. Roads, improving roads and all this. That's heavy equipment. That's a heck of a lot of CO2 production. How can you say create jobs and re- reduce our CO2 footprint? You can't. When the economy is roaring, that's when CO2 is produced the most. You can't have both. Oh, unless it's going to be new environmental jobs run by environmental uh, corporations that uh, produce environmental 
products that we don't need, want, or will make a difference when the rest of the world is 85% of the problem. Oh, but we've got to lead by example. Or are you trying to use the environment for your corporations, for Democrat corporations, so they make more money from the federal government, which turn around in campaign donations, which turns around and gets more Democrats in office? And these corporations are going to be staffed by illegals. Imagine the massive amount of profit these corporations will make hiring illegal immigrants for their environmental jobs. Oh, but so let's pay union dues. Those union dues go back to the Democrats. Same old, same old, you know. And support the right to unionize. Let's unionize who? The illegals? Is that what you want to do? Unionize the illegals? <laughs> do illegals have a right to unionize? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. the, 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 I can yeah. see that now. The illegal, the illegal immigrants union. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the IIU. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's like, come on. Oh, let's get HR one passed. Oh, so there's no voter registration. There's no ID required for voter registration. No ID required for, to vote for a congressman. Get those illegals over here, and let's just take over the country. Yeah. And let's just go ahead and cause Americans, they can't compete uh, for jobs, and then they won't be able to compete for housing because of the illegals. I, I just, I'm like, come on, people. Uh, I'm just like, yeah. See if I had any other funny kind of the things here. Uh, ooh, yes. Cheap drugs. Uh, okay, Biden, do you want more drugs? Because <laughs> either quit taking the drugs or give me some, man. <laughs> no new taxes on people making less than 400000 Ah, It's baloney. I've heard that before. There's tax loopholes for the rich. The big businesses won't allow the federal government uh, well, to tax them well, more. Think about this it. is the way it's been historically. The one, the one, I mean, they've been raising gas tax, uh, the gas tax, you know, and then taxes have been going up. What makes them think that, uh, you know, that's not a, a, a raising the tax on the middle class? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's all sorts of. Oh, but wait a minute. You get seventy two hundred dollars for child leave, you know, when you have a baby. Um, does that include uh, people on welfare? I don't have a job. I'm on welfare. Do you get $7,200? Oh, well, then just have another baby and then another baby and have another baby. And next thing you know, these people will be more dependent upon the system, and then they'll grow up to be Democrat voters. Gee. So make more babies. Well, make and that's what it babies. is. I mean, and I've, been, and I've been saying that for a long time, Kelly, and I, I do see a Skype caller wanting to chime in. I'm going to bring you in the green room in a little bit. But that's what I've been saying for a long time is they're, they, they need these illegal, illegal immigrants. They need to give them amnesty. They want to give them the, the ability to vote because they need a – you know, they need to build a new constituency. Yeah, I'm just – I'm scratching my head. I mean, heard this before. Let's get out of Afghanistan. What? Didn't Obama say that? Now, one thing Trump – he did um, – Bring a lot of troops home. But did you notice that Trump didn't start any new wars? Isn't that fascinating? You know, the military-industrial complex is not going to let our Congress 
uh, is not going to let the troops get out of this country. I mean, only if you have like a Ron Paul type who totally would have brought in the troops home. But the military-industrial complex, they, they just say they say this stuff all the time. Oh, let's bring our troops home. Dude, they keep saying that. The generations uh, of the kids fighting in the same war. Dude, just straighten up, guys. Both R's and D's. Just get out of other countries' business. Gosh darn it. But they say it. Oh, it sounds so good. It sounds so good to keep hearing it. Oh, it sounds good. At least Trump actually did bring a lot of troops home and didn't start a new war. Except for the bombing in Syria, but anyway. We'll let somebody well, else we're talk still, for a bit. We're still early in the in the Biden regime, so we'll see what. So um I'm gonna get you in, Joseph, but we do have our good friend Joe uh call it in, so I want to get uh his uh point as well. And then we'll see if uh you know you guys want to hear the Republican response. We you know I mean I'll put it on when it comes on if you want us to, but uh, but let's go ahead and hear from Joe, and then we'll bring it over to Joseph. Uh, thank you very much, Joe, for coming to the show. How are you tonight, and what, what, did, you, what did you think of the speech? Hey, Bob. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Joseph. Yeah, hey. Um, our new imposter-in-chief is a very long-winded guy, and Kelly's right about the military-industrial complex. Uh, they're not going to let uh, Biden do anything that he says he's going to do, <clears throat> and neither will the uh, pharmaceutical-industrial uh, um, complex, if you will, do it either. He's um, he's making all the nice uh, promises that, of course, a new president makes when they get in there. But um, I like the one about how he's um, going to, I think, use Medicare to provide health care for all or most Americans without adding a dime to the deficit. Uh, <laughs> okay. Good going, Joe. Yeah. So um, other than that, I think uh, people who are libertarians, conservatives, and those who do know uh, more than just Economics 101 will realize that uh, Biden's full of shit. So I'll just let Joseph come on in. He can give his point of view. Uh, go ahead, Joseph. Uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't really mention much of how to plan, uh, the to pay for it. He did give a little caveat, you know, to the old – Oh, we're going to tax the rich to make them pay their fair share, yeah. which I'll make this little little, little note. I always found it interesting when you hear Democrats saying, uh, you know, pining that the, the rich, which I'm not a part of them, I'm as middle class as middle class gets, but um, when they want the rich to pay their fair share, but yet when Trump wanted NATO members to pay their fair share to protect their own nations, they somehow had a problem with that. And it's like, so when Trump wants to have you know, these nations pay their fair share for their own protection. That's not that's not good, but they, have, but they always want the other risks. To, but anyway, of course, oh, before, uh, yeah. more liberal Good point, Joseph. <laughs> I mean, good point, Bob. But before you bring Joseph in, I want to uh, – something that you just reminded me of something, so I'd like to uh, spend the next minute or 30 seconds on it, is that um, he was talking about the inequality, the, the way the wealth gap began. To me, that's always a non-issue. Who cares? As long as the rich aren't stealing from us, let them be rich. To me, it's, the, it's an envy syndrome. It's an envy complex. It's like saying, you know what? Those guys over there have a hell of a lot more hair than I do. I don't think that's fair. I want them to give me some of their hair. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds just that ridiculous. Now I'm finishing. Joseph can come on in. 
Uh, Joe, always you a there, pleasure Joe? to have you on. Yes, always a pleasure. Hey, if Joe. I may defer... Hey, how's it going, Joe? If I may defer my comments, because I'm listening to the rebuttal from South Carolina, Tim Scott, and then I'll send you a text message, uh, Robert, when he's done, and then I can chime in, if that's okay. Did, did, you, want, did you guys want to listen to the rebuttal? I mean, I How long is so, I'm going to listen. Uh, I'm listening to the rebuttal. 15 minutes or so, isn't it? 15 minutes. Correct, correct. The rebuttal is on Usually. Right now. You guys want to hear it? I personally don't. 15 minutes of listening to a Republican spread his stupid lies, I don't. I personally don't. But, I mean, if you guys <laughs> do, I'll just. I can come back because I'm not listening to that. <laughs> well, one of, well, one of the things about these things is guess what? Uh, can, now, I was looking, I was seeing an audio uh, that I was going to get in. Um, but it, it's law. I, I, it's not here anymore. But we had uh, it got superseded by this this pop up on Twitter from you know, the guy who's doing the rebuttal right now. But there was actually a, a live stream uh, of the candidate going up against uh, Kinzinger uh, Lombardi. He was doing. Uh, oh, here's a, a message here on. Uh, well, it looks like maybe it's a recording. I don't know if he's still talking. Let me go ahead and see if this is uh, this is live, okay? Uh, Joseph, do you mind if I do that? Because this is uh, it's on Twitter here. It says a message uh, to my fellow Americans. This is Jack Lombardi, who is running for the Congress of Illinois 16th uh, district, running in the primary against. Uh, okay, uh, Joseph, I mean again, Bob, uh, if you want to play, and, and if you want to play it, I mean the, if you want to play the Republican, I'm going to hang up because I don't want to. I don't want to listen to candidates. They all lie, Republicans. I'm just going to hang up and call back about half an hour later or 20 minutes later. Or so, well, okay. Well, if you if you hang up now, though, Joseph, we we started the show earlier tonight, or Joe, we started uh-huh. the show early tonight, and we started 8:30. So actually, if you hang up, you you won't be able to call back in because the show's only going for another hour tonight. We started early to do this live. Uh, you know, oh, okay, I'll, 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 I'll call back another time because, again, hold I don't want to hear on, Republicans or Democrats. No, hold on, Joe. Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't asking Robert to play it. I'm, pl- I'm listening it to myself, oh, okay. and then I'm analysis of it. So oh, okay. none of you have to be subjected to listening to it. I'm going to listen to it, and then I'll send him a text when it's done, and then I'll give my analysis to it. Oh, the only okay, reason, reason why I'm listening to it is because it's coming from Tim Scott, who is one of Trump staunchest allies uh, while he was president in the Senate. Uh, oh, yeah, Trump yeah, I remember. I think I remember. And he supported yeah. the uh, economic uh, freedom zones that were created for uh, African Americans during the Trump administration. So I'm going to listen to this, and I'll shoot you a text when it's done, Robert. But So I don't want anyone to get off the line if you don't have to. None of you have to listen to it. It's just me listening to it on my own accord, and I'll get back with you guys uh, when I'm done listening to it. Okay, that sounds it's cool, Joseph. Thanks. Okay. No problem. Well, what I've got here is, you know, I want to hear this guy's speech. Uh, or he's doing, I, mean, I don't know if he's doing his own rebuttal. I just know it's some type of message here. I don't know if it's, it says it's live, but I don't, you know, I don't know if it's that or a recording. But I want to give you guys a flavor of one of our guests, this uh, Jack Lombardi uh, we're going to be interviewing him on a special uh, episode uh, on Monday, the 10th of uh, May, and he's going to be coming on to the show. So I wanted to be able to give the audience here uh, a flavor okay. of our guest. Right. 
to middle America, the people who buy their products. But that will happen. So to say that they're not getting taxed, you know, or only people over 400, you, you, all you, what that speech was engineered to do is make you hear, oh, tax, tax, I'm not getting taxed, so I'm okay. No, the products that you buy are going to go up. You're going to, you're going to bear it in the end. And they know this. It's just the way they wordcraft it. And, and you have to realize this man has been known for lying. So this is just more of the same. So it's just a few thoughts I had that really stuck out to me about uh, the, the speech we just we just listened to. It's very dishonest. Um, it, you know, Joe Biden has a history of, of just throwing it all in there. I mean, throw it all in the blender. Throw it in. You know, middle America, poor people, black people, uh, you know, women, Asians, this and that. Like, he just throws it all in there, but nothing changes. And, and that's the dishonesty of politics that uh, is the reason why I got involved. Is just because I'm sick and tired of seeing it. I'm sick and tired of the lies. I'm sick and tired of, uh, you know, the tax burden, you know, on Americans keep going up, yet they say, we're not going to do anything. They're always lowering taxes. You ever notice that? Always lowering taxes. However, they seem to always keep going up. Or they're always lowering taxes, but we're always spending more. Well, so it's all a sham. All right, uh, America, you're my brothers and sisters in America. We're all Americans. I mean, my policy is America first. Uh, I'm running for the 16th district of Illinois against uh, Rhino Representative Adam Kissinger, who, you, you know, even if you're a Democrat or you're on the fence or, or maybe you like Kissinger, let, let me let me explain this to you. This man voted one way, then all of a sudden, well, I changed my mind because I didn't like these things. Now he's going to go another way. This man is an opportunist. He's going to do whatever is good for him. It's not about his constituents. It's not about the American citizens. It's what's good for Adam Kinsinger. And that's what we get when we, we, when we elect people who are young and impressionable. They don't really have any life experience under their belt. And uh, they want to go to the falls. They want to be part of D.C. They want to be part of the D.C. elite limelight. And this is what you get. That's why... I'm running to get this man out of office because he's not good for America. He's not good for you, and he's not good for my children or for me uh, in this country that I love. So uh, I'm going to finish off on that. God bless you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I, I just wanted to download some of my thoughts. Please tell me what your thoughts are. Uh, I see them in the comments. You know, I'm doing some stuff around, uh, around the house. I got some honeydews I was trying to finish up. Um, today, but I, I'm still checking my phone. I see the messages. I see you. Uh, you know, if you see me like your message and you see me engaged, it's really me. And if I don't, uh, maybe somebody said something. I I'm not. I don't want to get involved in. Right? I want to get elected here. But it's really me. Tell me your thoughts. Do you think that Joe Biden was being honest about everything he said? And do you think that all these trillions of dollars that they're, they're, you know, pretty much our children are going to have to pay for and our grandchildren is really going to go to American infrastructure, into Americans? Do you really think it is, or do you feel like, man, that was, like, all too good to be true? I mean, let's just use 
discernment. Was it too good to be true? Because right out the gate, and I know I'm biased. You can say, Jack, you're biased. You're Republican, this and that. You clearly, uh, you know, don't like the man's policy. Well, I mean, that's all true. I don't. And because <clears throat> he's dishonest. He has a history of being dishonest. It's, um, it's more than just policy. It's his lack of character. That's what I, I, I dislike about the man. That's why I'm going to look at anything that he says uh, under a microscope. But tell me, tell me your thoughts. Uh, communicate in the, in the comments, and God bless you. God bless this country. And just remember, go out and vote for the primaries, no matter what. No matter what's going on, if you trust the election system or not, make sure you go out in the primaries and vote. And, and there's good, good people out there fighting to protect election integrity for the Republicans. They're getting it done. They're taking it to the Democrats. It's happening all over the country. I talk to a lot of these people. I have a lot of faith that they'll be able to get it done. I mean, there's a lot of big wins happening across the country to make sure everyone's vote is legit. I, I mean, even if you're a Democrat, I want your vote to be legit. I'm not biased that way. Fair is fair, right is right, wrong is wrong, okay? It's really that simple. So please uh, like, comment, share. If you have questions, put them in the comments. I'll do my best to answer them. Like I said, I I'm, I'm actually took a break. I was helping my wife out with our daughter, and, uh, you know, so I had a little bit of time to do this. All right, everyone, God bless you. God bless this country. God bless Illinois. And I, uh, I hope I'm your representative. I, could, I hope that I'm elected, and um, I hope all you donate to me to where, you know, I can be in you know, Capitol Hill, in Congress, representing real Americans with real issues uh, and not going into Congress on a load of BS. All right. Thanks, everyone. Wow. That was kind of cool. Yeah, you know, again, I wanted to give a flavor of, uh, you know, our guest for uh, on May, the special edition on uh, May the 10th, uh, and and that's what we're looking for. I mean, I know whether you like uh, politicians or not, which, you know, most of them we don't, it is, and, and I, I agree a lot of with you, Joe, about, oh, yeah, they're just another politician, another Republican, whatever, but the reality is, is we have to deal with these people. And what I mean by that is we have to deal with we, we have to deal with politicians. They're, they're just going to be a fact, you know, of our system, and there's really not, nothing we can, we can avoid for that, okay? So what we're kind of been on the hunt here on Bard's Logic is to find your, you know, your populist, your grassroots, or, hey, I'm not a career politician running for office. Okay, that's what we're looking for. Hopefully we'll find one uh, here Name me a uh, politician. Name me a politician who, when they're tuned in to that type of vibe, when they feel that that's what their potential constituents want, that they don't say that. I don't like them. They have proven to be liars, almost all of them. They don't. They lack courage. The only one that may have courage may be Marjorie Greene, maybe, maybe Tulsi Gabbard from the Democratic side. But most of them are gutless. And if you have that well, guy and, on, and, and I'm not just and I'm not disagreeing with that, Joe. I mean, I I wholeheartedly agree with with that. Uh, but 
the fact of the matter is, is we have to deal with them. I mean, we're, I mean, they're there. So does it yeah, seem, you know, If you have that guy on, well, if I come on, can I grill him the way I like to grill politicians? Well, yeah, if he stays on long enough to ask you a bunch of questions, yeah, you, people can ask whatever they they okay. want as long as they're not uh, as long as they're not. You know, yeah, I mean, we have to have a decorum about it, but yeah, I mean, you can. I won't be. I won't use profanity, but I will be direct. Well, and that's fine. And if someone okay. you know is running for office, they should be able you know should be able to handle that again as long as you're. Now, I didn't think you'd do any profanity. You know, <laughs> just you know, I don't want to. Um, I mean, I've never had to you interview anyone we've had yet on the show, so that would that would certainly be interesting. Um, but, but if I ask him, how do I know? know how do we know you're not a liar? For... That's okay. What's that? I said, if I ask anybody on your show, if I say to them, how do we know or how do I know that you're not a, a liar? That's okay. Well, yeah, that's fine. I would uh, okay. personally, I would. I would use different. I would use different language. I have the same meaning as liar, you know. Or how can we know that you know what you say is is is, you know, is truthful? You know, maybe maybe put, maybe it's constant in that instead of it, you know, presuming as such. But I mean, if you ask it the way you want to ask it, just you know, remember, remember, folks, we do like to have guests on our show, and if we we get a reputation of being disrespectful to the people we have on, uh, then that might. Uh, you know, that might well, not if I were play running, out. If I were running play, for play office, well for us, but go ahead, Jeff. If I were running for office and somebody, and I knew that you had that your show had the reputation of having somebody like me on, I don't think that would phase me if I were truly working for the American people. Because if somebody asks me, how do I know you're not a liar, I would try to answer it the same way I would if somebody were to be more diplomatic. Well, yeah, yeah, and I, I get that, and and I agree, and I agree with that too. I'm not saying anything I don't disagree with. I mean, that that would kind of show they're a new quote well, real person, right? Uh, but yeah, you know, yeah, I want us to be able to keep some <laughs> keep yeah, keep some decorum. But it just said, hey, how do we know you're not a liar? Yeah, I I, I would be lying. See, I myself would be lying if I didn't think, say I'd have mixed thoughts on, on you know on that yeah. approach. Uh, as an interview question for a candidate, <laughs> I mean, I get well, I get why you would do it, and I, I you know get the reasoning. And again, in a lot of part, I would I agree with that. It's just on the other hand, you know, well, if they we, can't we handle be, that, how can we expect them to hand, handle Congress if they get elected? Again, you're not you're not saying I, you know, you're not saying that anything I'm, I'm disagree. You know, I, yeah, I know what you mean. You, you, I, like, I you still like with. to have guests on the show that would like to come back. <laughs> I know. Well, well uh, exactly. Wanna, yeah, I'm, that would be that would be, that would be nice. And 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 tell you from experience, I mean, it, it's not it's it's not an easy thing. I remember we had, uh, I mean, we we interviewed many times uh, who ended up being the governor of, of Kentucky, Matt Bevin. I mean, he stayed a long time on our show. I mean, he's been on three, four episodes uh, when he was running against uh, Mitch McConnell in the primary. He was on then, and then when he uh, – and, and I don't think there's anything on our part. I, I mean, I just think with his schedule. I mean, 
I guess when you're governor, you're pretty busy. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it was kind of frustrating because I, ta- I would talk to his, uh, you know, I guess whoever his scheduler was or, you know, media you know, person was, um, you know, the first name's Woody. And I'd even talk with Woody like, I'm trying to get, you know, you know, get Matt back on the show, but we, we never were, un- unfortunately, able to. And actually, uh, I did have uh, someone who uh, stated that they were going to be on now. I-, I haven't heard back from her in a week. <laughs> so it, it is. It's, it, 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 it's a lot harder than you think, uh, you know, getting folks on, on a pod- especially a podcast. I even, um, believe, believe it or not, uh, had a, a short uh, tweet interlude with uh, William Shatner for all those who are Star Trek fans out there. I had a little oh, cool. uh, interlude on Twitter with him and about, you know, he's just like, I just don't do podcasts. <laughs> we had a little bit of a back and forth very briefly, but um, a lot of, you know, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of don't, but I mean, back in the past, we used to have a, you know, a, a, a lot of folks, but you know, things are different now. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, if you want to sponsor it, I mean, he doesn't seem to be like, you know, someone who that would phase. I mean, I mean, again, I've seen the video and, you know, I've just seen him talk. And I don't think that'd be something that'd phase him. I just want to. It's just sad. I mean, I do have mixed thoughts uh, on that approach. <laughs> hey, uh, can I throw something out? Yeah, go ahead, Kelly. And then I do want to get Joseph back in too, because we keep going back and forth here, and I want to be able to uh, get Joseph back in. Uh, we got about yeah. uh, forty-five minutes, maybe well less than that, because I have to close things out. But but I do want to bring Joseph back in. So go ahead, Kelly, and then Joseph. Well, I want to do a quick funny, but I want to address some things that Joe has a concern about. All right, but you know, uh, Biden is proposing uh, free child care, and uh, once the, the money's flowing for free child cares, he's going to get to visit some of these and sniff more hair. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. I told, that, I told that to my neighbor that she happened uh, by, and she goes, well, she said, well, Biden needs child care himself. <laughs> Oh my God! That's true. Anyway, but uh, one of the problems we're having, Joseph, is is uh, Joe. I'm sorry. Um, our representation ratio is terrible. I mean, what is it? Uh, if you want to call your congressman, you're competing with what three quarters of a million people. I think it is the number right around there. So how in the world, um, if we brought that representation ratio down to what the Constitution said, which is um, Thirty thousand. Now, if you had one congressman for thirty thousand, or say this for thirty-five thousand, but that's the limit is thirty thousand. You know, you go to ten thousand, one state can throw in a whole bunch of congressmen, and that would be unbalanced. But I say thirty thousand. Okay. Now, what's going to happen here is you're like Chuck Grassley. Chuck Grassley, Iowa senator, really good guy, really admire him, all his years of service. Um, there are people all throughout Iowa know him personally and that he's honest. So what happens is when you have a lower representation ratio, and I, I don't just mean because um, congressmen don't start out as congressmen. I mean, maybe they get lucky like, um, <clears throat> oh, AOC, occasional cortex. She she just got lucky. But if, if people start out running for city hall, then county supervisor, then a state, a state house legislature position, if the representation ratio is really low, 
then even at those levels, say, for example, we have nine county supervisors here, or five, five county supervisors, 45,000 people. That means uh, 9,000 people. They represent 9,000 people. If the person was really, really corrupt at this entry level, the community would, would, would expose this, and they wouldn't go up the chain of command to become a congressman. Now, you look at Maricopa County, they have five commissioners for 800 uh, – you're actually for 4.1 million people, which turns out to be something about – you're competing with 800,000 people for the attention of a county commissioner. No wonder why they can't change things there because people – how can you – only 1% of the people send an email once a month. There's no way they could read all their emails. So when you have a lower representation ratio at the local to the state, and then Congress is one one to thirty thousand people, the bad apples are going to be rid of. And then when you ask that question, how do I know you're not lying to me? Well, the community would already know with a very low representation ratio. So that that's a systemic structural problem that we have right now. And why did the House and Senate not expand Congress so that we are at that ratio of one to 30,000 people. Or New Hampshire, for example, has in the state legislature, it's one state house rep for every 3,500 people. Well, 3,500 people, what's going on there? Well, 3,500 people are going to expose somebody in that 3,500, word of mouth. In New Hampshire, they have high turnover rates. Um, the campaigns cost very little. And it's quite a system of of accountability through a very low representation ratio. So we have a serious structural problem here in the idea of representation. But does this make sense, Joe? Um, not entirely, Kelly. Um, I see where you're going. But um, you're, I don't want to take up too much of Joseph's time. I'm just going to say this for the next 10 seconds. Um, you're assuming that people pay attention at the local level of what's really going on around them and that they're honest. I don't assume that. Um, but I'm, I'll, I'll be glad to go in, into a back and forth with you when once Joseph comes in. Well, I suppose, see, you got a representation ratio in New Hampshire, 30, one for 3,500 people. Out of that 3,500 people, there's got to be two or three or five uh, that know, say 5%, 2%, 5% that actually know this person. Oh, yeah, he's a... Uh, Honesty, uh, McCoy. He got uh, uh, city council. But Kelly, and everybody yeah, Kelly. Let's um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, and you know, I hate to interrupt anybody. We we do we do have limited time, and I do want to really get to uh, the the analysis part of tonight of uh, the speech tonight. If Joseph hasn't had an opportunity to do that yet, and he watched the uh, the rebuttal, and so he's probably going to talk you know, about that as well. So we could we certainly bring that up uh, on the next show, or maybe even later on this one. But I do want to uh, stay on our, you know, our analysis uh, of the speech tonight. Um, unless we tie that in, you know, we, we talk about with the representation with the speech. But I do want to bring uh, Joseph in with that because again, I, that's one bad thing I don't like about doing this earlier show because I just feel like even though it's still the same three hours. I feel like there's less time. I mean, I know a good portion took up uh, the speech, but this is a podcast, and it, it's something that, you know, is going to stay in the archives forever, so I want to have uh, uh, the speech in there so we maybe later on could u- use it as a, 
you know, just kind of to look back at it. But go ahead, Kelly. I'm not Kelly. Go ahead, Joseph. Sure. Um, listening to that speech reminded me of the Obama-Biden era, where we had eight years of Barack Obama and Vice President Biden standing up there lying to the American people like we're dumb and ignorant and pretending that everything was all fine and dandy in La La Land. And today, that's pretty much what I saw was a repeat of that. Pretending that everything is going great and implying that our predecessor left us a disaster of a country, including the economy. Lies, lies, lies. For the record... 96 million Americans have been vaccinated. For the record, he actually said 1.3 million jobs were added. That's not true at all, as well. And then he had the... Well, I thought he said 100 million, or was he planning to bring in 100 million? He was planning, but the actual number was 1.3, but still, uh, it's not accurate. Uh, All the fact-checkers are coming out and saying, no way, Jose. Um, And then, to further divide our country, he has the temerity to take a tragedy with George Floyd, paint him as a saint, and politicize the tragedy. He's just going to further divide us. And, and, and just, it's another slap in the face to the good apples who represent our law enforcement. And it's like, are you kidding me? Are you drinking the Kool-Aid? Have you lost it? Has the left lost it? And it's supposed to be a joint speech to Congress. How can it be a joint speech to Congress when the room was barely half full? Our allies and our enemies are looking at this thinking we are at our weakest, most vulnerable point. And then the typical... Thank you, Joe. Uh, And and then the typical talking points of the left, the 1% has to pay their fair share, Uh, we need to take guns away. Statistics actually show the states that have the most stringent gun laws are the states that have the highest gun fatalities and homicide rates, Chicago, New York, L.A. So I'm just sitting there thinking, and the most scariest part of it all is the Democratic Party of today truly believes what they are peddling. They're not, they're not playing an act, and that's what makes them ten times more dangerous. And when President Trump spoke at CPAC, he made a valid point. And I'm going to bring this to to Joe, because I want to bring that up. I think that's important, what Joe was saying. Uh, he made a valid point. When it comes to the most vital issues, hell or high water, Democrats always remain loyal, and they vote along the party line. That is the conservatives, Republicans' biggest weakness. They can't. And that goes back to, which I'm going to do this in the reverse. I will get to the GOP uh, rebuttal last. Which brings me to Joe. Now, the way Joe feels about the Republican and Democratic Party is the way that most 81 million people who voted for Donald Trump for reelected feel. We live in a country now more than ever where 
we have the greatest distrust in government as American civilians, as ordinary citizens. And Joe hit the nail on the head in everything he's saying. The way Joe feels is the way that 81 million Americans feel. Donald Trump ran as a Republican, but he did not govern as a Republican. People forget that he governed as a pragmatic populist and a conservative who agreed that the Republican Party was corrupt and he also needed to drain the swamp in that regard. And in that regard, he did, and he created a lot of enemies with the status quo of the Republican Party, who, by the way, the Republican Party loathes people like Joe, people like you, Robert, people like you, Kelly. They loathe us. They hate us. They smile when it comes to re-election, asking for their votes, but behind our backs, they look at us as subservient. Donald Trump changed that, but he had to run as a Republican. And you see, that's the problem of the Republican Party right now. They have nothing to stand on. They have 81 million people who think like Joe for every valid reason and are saying, why should I give you my vote? You're just as corrupt as the left, and you also colluded in enabling the Democrats to rig an election from a rightful president who rightfully won and disenfranchised 81 million Americans. Preach it, Joseph. You're absolutely right. And thank you. And until the Republicans can address the root of that problem, it's going to metastasize like a cancer. And the problem is Republicans can't. The status quo can't. The status quo is the reason why they are colluding and they are in bed with the Democrats. They've been in bed with the Democrats for over 100 years. Ladies and gentlemen, let's make no mistake or illusions here. They've been in bed with the Democrats probably since ever after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. There you go. Everyone always thinks that the GOP was this grand party created by Abraham Lincoln, which he was a great president, but he committed a lot of constitutional violations. He was no saint. And everyone assumes that 50 years later, that's when the party went south. No, both parties have had a vice on our country's neck creating a two-party system for a very, very long time. The Whigs were put out of business because people were saying we need another viable party. The Whigs no longer represent the views of the American people, and the Whigs were ousted. But they were not ousted by a better party. So until we can figure out, which I think that's what Donald Trump is doing right now as we speak, there's a civil war inside the GOP. And the civil war is the conservative faction who says, we, we despise Republicans for very good reasons. We don't trust you. Why should we? Look at what you did to our rightful president because he had the courage to speak out against the corrupt status quo GOP who think they're untouchable. And that's why we're going to have to address the elephant in the room. There is a civil war, and I can guarantee you the winner will be the conservative faction, not the status quo. Not the current status quo, which, by the way, I ask Republican establishment folks all the time, how'd that work out for you? How'd that work out for you when you got George W. Bush elected with that compassionate conservatism? How did that work out? How did that work out for eight years when President uh, uh, Obama ran rampant on the left? 
violated numerous constitutions, constitutional amendments, and further divided our nation. However, as Tim Scott said in the uh, rebuttal, race should not be used as a weapon, and we are not a racist nation. And we need, there is no unity if the other side is trying to paint us as a racist nation and use race as a weapon. And he's right. He's right. And think about it. He's the only African-American in the Senate as a Republican. Donald Trump expanded the base amongst minorities more than any other president in history. And you know why? It wasn't because he played Republican. It's because he played, he governed as a populist. And it works. So ladies Mm -hmm. and gentlemen, what does that say? The old days of governing of the GOP is only going to produce the same old, same old. Failure, failure, and allowing the left to constantly win elections and elections and turn our country into a one-party system. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe represents 81 million Americans who went to the ballot box not as Republicans, not as Democrats, but first and foremost as American patriots who said and felt that Donald Trump best represented them for four years by putting America first, and they wanted another four years of America first. And my last comments, because I know the show is limited, is the Democrats rigged and stole the election because they knew that they could not win on their own merits. How could they? Donald Trump created more jobs and the economy soared and boomed since post-World War II. That's right. He had an amazing economy. He eliminated the ISIS caliphate, which the Obama administration only created a vacuum to have it form Syria. He made historic Middle East peace agreements, was nominated the Nobel Peace Prize, He put the fear of God Almighty into our enemies, such as North Korea, China, Russia, and Iran. And that's why the Democrats said, even if Jesus was on the ballot as a Dem, we could not honestly beat (laughs) Donald Trump and disenfranchise his 81 million, not Republicans, but conservatives, slash populists, slash Americans, any way you want to label it, they definitely were not for the status quo. And so I will defer back to you, and uh, I thank you very much for giving me the time to uh, speak and say what I had to say. Thank you. Good presentation, Joseph. Yeah. Thank you, guys. That means a lot. It was right on point. Oh, it was it was poignant, on point, and important. Yeah. Uh, is it well, Joseph's that's why, you know, as you said about, about these politicians. Go ahead. I thought it was Joe's turn. Go ahead. I mean, of course it's your show, oh, yeah. but I kind of confused. Okay, the only thing that I wouldn't want to say is that um, the, um, the Republicans may have an internecine 
um, war in, uh, be amongst them. But I don't, I don't know if the conservatives will win out because I saw a betrayal when uh, Representative Jordan was grilling Fauci. Jordan had Fauci on the ropes, could have knocked him down with the question, what is the metric? Because Fauci said, I'm not interested in the liberty aspect as you, Senator, but I'm interested in the safety of the American people. And so Jordan responded, and you know, if you, if you guys are familiar with Representative Jordan, so he's not a senator, he's a representative, that um, he gets all fired up. And he said, Dr. Fauci, what are the metrics? When will we be safe? When will it be safe to take off the masks? He had them. He had them. He asked them for the metric. The all-important knockout. He let them off the hook. And he's a, he's a former prosecutor, too. So I guess maybe because of that, I have uh, even less faith in politicians than I did before. I'm done. Well, and that's why, you know, again, I mean, as I said, uh, you know, before, I mean, we, we have to, you know, they're, they're reality. I mean, we have to deal with politicians, um, unfortunately. You know, I'd like to find people of, of, the, of the ranks who are, who are more popular, populist. As most of the people here, probably including you, know, Joe, that I'm not a big, I was not, you know, not a big fan of the Republican Party, but as one thing I've learned these past nine years I've been doing the the show is that, you know, that's pretty much what we got to, uh, to deal with is the Republican Party now because that's, you know, going third party, you know, is just, at least on the national level, just isn't, uh, it's just not going to get there. I mean, I'd like to see an Irish-style system, uh, but, you know, that it's got to start from, frankly, the lo- you know, local on up. But one thing I want to bring back to that you guys pointed out that, that really hit me during the show, uh, you know, not during the show, during the uh, the speech, is that when he when Biden said he talked to, uh, you know, with that uh, George Floyd's daughter, and I mean I kind of get that he wants a, a little girl to feel good about their father and. You know, she's probably hurting. I'm, I'm sure she, she, you might be too young aware that her father was a drug, you know, drug addict and criminal. Um, when she, when he, you know, she said, uh, oh, my daddy changed the world. And think about that. And let's say that's, that's true. I'm not, I'm not necessarily agreeing with that. But let's say that, maybe not the world, but let's say he changed the United States, which I think that's certainly a possibility because with the – we mentioned this briefly last week, and I'm not going to talk a lot about it here because it's not the, the meaning for the show, but – or, you know, this episode is this guy was a, this guy was a criminal. We're making a hero. The president of the United States during his address to the nation is making a hero out of a drug addict and a criminal. Talk about a state of the union. Talk about the state of a nation when we have during one of the most paid attention to speeches each year 
And they're going to, and there's even going to be a law, a law that's going to have the name, you know, a possible law, that's going to have the name of a known criminal who put a gun to a pregnant woman's belly, was on drugs with a counterfeiter, and we're going to make him a hero? When we're going to have, when they want to tear down statues of George Washington, and then they want to put up on a pedestal George Floyd, I mean, this nation is in trouble with that. And we have a president during, you know, one of the biggest speeches, political speeches of the year, basically, you know, trying to make a hero out of a criminal. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, I, the whole thing in the entire speech, that probably hit me the most because I'm like, Man, we're we're in trouble. You know, we're in trouble with with that kind of of mindset uh, out there. Well, we can turn a, a criminal into a hero and, and and maybe even a martyr. Well, he's definitely going to be a martyr. But I am, yeah. I don't say I don't consider George Floyd the cause. He's the catalyst, the cause of everything, all the problems that we ha- have had. Ever since the revolution, going back to the 1700s, is Congress itself. It's the politicians, plus um, the modern-day Mark Twain, um, George Carlin, said it also when he was talking about politicians. He said the politicians come from your neighborhoods, your schools, your districts, um, your families. That's the best we got, folks, because they come from you. So the American public is to blame as well. Not only um, the brainwashed public, but the selfish, um, callous public who don't want to give a damn about politics, who don't want to give a damn about their neighbors, and they allow these politicians from the local level up to get to where they are so that they can then reign in their regimes, not their administrations, but in their regimes. And then the two-party system... Like Joseph was saying, it's a one-party system. And it's the communist, it's not just the communist, it's the Rothschild system. We've been ruled by them for centuries. They've been around, they've constructed the central banks, they've perfected it, they've, they've um, war-gamed. This particular situation, COVID, in SPARS 2025-2028, public record. They know what's happening, they've counted it, they've uh, um uh, war gained it, and we allow and we allow ourselves to go along with it, partially because of brainwashing, partially because, well, the American people, just like any other people around the world, are incredibly selfish. Once again, Joe, you hit the nail on, on the head. This has been going on for a long time. Yeah. And make no mistake, some people think this started with George W. Bush or even started as far back as LBJ. No, this has been going on for over uh, a century. And uh, the proof is in the pudding. If you have a leader that governs this populist we're, we're getting that joke. We're, we're, nothing to do with both here. Uh, no, not not from my end. That's for sure. 
No problem. I, I was just going to say the proof was in the pudding. Donald Trump was the greatest experiment of all time. We've never had a president who governed as a populist. It's If a Democrat wins, they govern as a, a Democrat or liberal. If a Republican wins, they govern as uh, as a Republican. And the proof is in the pudding. The policies work because he said, I'm going to govern as a populist. Not only that, I'm going to govern to represent everyone, not just a particular political party. He had the guts to do that, and that wasn't easy. Uh, and the policies worked. It just goes to show you that both parties, for almost 240 years, they failed us. They failed us. And that's why they did everything to disenfranchise and rig that election is because Donald Trump presented the greatest existential threat to the status quo of both parties who've held power for hundreds of years. And the establishment on both sides says, uh, if we give him another four years, forget it. God knows right. he can end. And that's, that's what happened. And um, I'll defer back to you. But, uh, yeah, that's basically definitely what happened. The proof is in the pudding. When you govern for the people, by the people, and when you put America first and you govern as an American patriot, not representing one particular party or base as Donald Trump did, you get the results. But at the same time, he paid the price. He paid the price by being a constant target. As we speak, he is still a target. And I defer back to you. And, and he is. Uh, he is still his target. And so are the people, you know, that were his supporters. Again, you know, I mentioned, you know, Matt Gates, uh, you Roger Stone. I mean, we're talking, to, you know, now Giuliani, they're, they're, they're coming after him. Uh, they're going to come after more. And then, again, once they get uh, all the upper echelon, they're just going to try to move lower. Now, now, if you actually, you know, if you listen to the speech, which we did, and you almost know, some of the stuff I'd have to say that if I didn't know, as, as uh, Lombardi said, he's a liar, <laughs> uh, talking about Biden, uh, you know, during his, uh, you know, what, not, I don't know if it was rebuttal, but his comments on, on it is that, I mean, some of it actually sounded, you know, good. I mean, he did mention Mars, and we went to Mars, and, you know, I've been following that, as you know, closely uh, with, you know, the ingenuity with the helicopter, which I need to Look at that more, but uh, you know things going on. So I mean, did and the oxygen extraction. Up, the what? The oxygen extraction. Yeah, I've been, yeah, that that's what I'm going to have to look at because I haven't seen that. But I'm I'm going to want to. I've been kind of busy with with trying to make money <laughs> from work. <laughs> so uh, and this week my uh, my my daughter's final uh, week of her first uh, year of college, so it's exam week for us. So it's been kind of. Kind of a stressful week, let me tell you. <laughs> that. So luckily after this week it'll be here. Well, I mean, but some of this stuff, you know, I mean, yeah, replacing lead pipes, I mean, that, that sounds all good. You know, I mean, I, I find it ridiculous this day and age uh, to actually have schools or any building for that matter that still has lead pipes in. I mean, if I, again, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But if it, if it is, I mean, that sounds, oh, yeah, that sounds, you know, nice. And they talk about, hey, we're in competition with, you know, with China. We're in competition with Russia. Which those things are true. But, again, as, as Lombardi said, if this guy wasn't such a liar, 
I could see where it's easy for folks to fall in and say, oh, my gosh, this, this guy. And I said that in the opening comments. Remember when I said that in the opening comments, is he's going to make this speech, you know, he's going to ensconce it as it's, it's pro-American. And he did. So I think I, I said this, in the, you know, again, in the beginning of the show before even seeing anything about the uh, – seeing it, I mean, he did ensconce it as – Hey, this is this is pro America. This is you know staying as the the world power. This is staying you know number one in technology, number one in science. You know, so I mean he's dead in Wisconsin now. I just wish I, I just wish uh, we could you know it, it could be believable. <laughs> Except the white terrorism part, white supremacy is terrorism, which I think he just put a target on every white person in America. But, but go ahead, Joe. You want to comment on that? Well, yeah, I mean, that's also um, a method of his, and, and the Democrats and the Republicans are lying to divide the nation. It would be divided along racial lines, gender lines, LBGQ2, ideological lines. A house divided doesn't have to be conquered from without. It gets conquered from within. Well, In the history of the world... In, in the history of the world, um, kings would fall because of terrible corruption and division within. And when a foreign invader came in, the military wasn't very willing to fight. But you have a good, strong leader that is fair and decent to the people, the military is willing to fight. So we are possibly entering into some very vulnerable territory. Um, I did want to mention the um, Biden said no amendment is absolute. That really got me. No amendment. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you want to tell that to the United States Supreme Court? Come on, people. But you know they're going to try to take the gun, and then what? Well, the courts will step in and say you can't do this. <laughs> you know, I mean they keep trying. It, it, it's like, well, let's try these same ideals that we haven't got done. Oh, and we're going to lower taxes. You know, if every politician held that uh, promise, we'd be paying zero taxes now. You realize that? From who knows when to how many decades they've been promised. Oh, we're going to lower taxes, lower taxes, lower taxes. Oh, we're going to tax the wealthy. But no, we're going to lower taxes every middle class. Yeah, and you know what? The middle class should be paying zero taxes right now if they were to stick with their promise. But they, they they keep saying these things. That's my whole point. They keep saying these things, keep saying these things, broken record, yada, yada, yada. I mean, like, you know, I maybe uh, maybe the next uh, and I'll, maybe the next address I could give it, you know. <laughs> I'd rather hear it from you, Kelly, than from Biden. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm what yeah, I say, you know what? So yeah, maybe we should play a game one time. Maybe we should. Uh, yeah, maybe we should write it. A, Write an address. That would be that would be kind of a fun exercise. But thinking of fun exercise is, wow, the the, the show's almost over for tonight. We're and, um, looking forward to next week, uh, which is regular time. And then of course we still have our special edition that's coming up Monday, May the tenth, or we'll have uh, Jack Lombardi on. Uh, still waiting to hear back from a, a couple folks, but you know that's that's the, the name of the game. That's why I'm trying to be a little cautious there, Joe. Uh, <laughs> I hear your warnings. I hear your warnings. And, and you know, and, and you know, guys, you, you don't. Uh, you know, I don't normally do this, 
and but I'm going to say something I don't normally do. But you may or may not be aware of how difficult it is really to get to, to get somebody to uh, for an interview on on, on a on a show. It, it's a, it used to be a lot easier than it is now. I mean, back some years ago, it was it was it was pretty easy. But now it's it, it's it's not very easy. Well, because there's a lot more you know podcasts now too. But um, than there was when we first started the show. But it it, it, it certainly got more difficult to get. It's extremely uh, difficult, it, Bob. I understand that because I used to be co-host. Uh, I understand that. So what we got here is uh, closing comments. We've got about a minute and a half, and I have to close things out for tonight. Uh, of course, looking forward to, to next week. So let's go ahead and give everybody their minute and a half of uh, closing comments. Uh, we'll go start with you, uh, uh, you Joe, and then with uh, you, Joseph, and then Kelly, and then I'll have to close things out. Again, each, each person got about you know about a minute and a half. Go ahead, Joe. Won't take me too long. Everybody, just be safe, okay? That's all I have to say. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, and I don't think you mean wearing masks, uh, so. No, I don't. <laughs> Let's, go Let's go ahead and bring it to, uh, to you, Joseph. Sure. Uh, look, valid points uh, issued by Kelly. Valid points issued by Joe. I'm really glad they they participate uh, on the show. Uh, that's a great thing, and uh, a lot of broken promises uh, from uh, the uh, Biden regime, uh, and we have a we have a lot of ground to make up here. Um, we we need to take back the House. We need to take back the, the Senate in 2022 uh, and create a pathway for 2024. We need to do that before we lose our constitutional republic. And uh, it's always a privilege and pleasure to uh, be on the show with everyone. Thank uh, you, Joe. Mm-hmm. Welcome, my pleasure. I hope uh, all of you, uh, Kelly and Joe, and your families continue to um, stay safe as well. And uh, God bless. Good afternoon. Look forward to be back on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did. I did remember one thing though, and it won't won't. It'll be below my minute and a half. Joe is valid about one thing. If a candidate can't handle tough questions on a podcast what makes you think that candidate can handle the real deal when he's on that campaign trail and i'll leave you with some food for thought on that no no one don't have to give you an answer just think about that for next week but just think about it i'll repeat it one more time if a candidate cannot handle tough questions on a podcast what makes you think they're going to handle the real deal when they're on the campaign trail. Oh no, I'm I'm all for. Well, I already got an answer. I mean, I'm all for. I'm all for. No, I'm all for tough questions, and I think they should have tough questions. And I think if people go back and listen to, uh, you know, the podcast, especially during the elections, where we did have candidates on, uh, you know, and I gave them uh, questions. I I think I asked fair, but, um, but hard questions. It's just how are those questions. you know, presented that that that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, Joseph just saying, hey, how do we know you're gonna, you're not going to be yeah. a liar? That, that's a difference than saying, you know, how can we, you know, maintain, you know, make sure, you know, or maintain that, you know, what you're yeah. you're telling Joseph us is, wasn't you know, impugning. is accurate or something like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't impugning your particular uh, motivation towards towards me. He was just mentioning a, a plain fact, regardless of whether I had said it on the show or not. 
how if a, if a candidate can't handle questions in an atmosphere in which he's going to be most comfortable in which um, something like this, how is he going to handle the uh, the questions on the campaign trail? And how is he going to handle his own leadership and the uh, opposite side of the aisle if he gets elected to Congress? That's all. Well, yeah. then again, you know, I never said I'd But I, I also see that, your just... point, uh, Bob. I see your point. <laughs> I will I will be more diplomatic, but I, I I like to grill politicians because if they can't handle something like that, then that to me shows they got something to hide, and they're only trying to pull the wool over our eyes one more time. If they can't handle me on the phone, <laughs> imagine what they can't handle. Yeah, I got you. But we do have to, we we do got to bring Kelly in for his closing comments, and we'll uh, we we we've got time for this. We you know we got I think what one maybe two more shows for you. Uh, you know, he's back on, and hopefully we get some more candidates because, I mean, we're talking about, you know, 2022 um, and, and maybe later on in the year as well. So it's a good thing we got time, too. But, Kelly, go ahead because we got about, uh, just about, again, about a minute and a half that I got to close things out. Well, the idea of answering difficult questions, um, we had our county election clerk speak at two Patriot parties, and the second one she said, uh, just regarding the Dominion, Dominion machines in our county, she said, well, I didn't come here to answer questions about the machines. <laughs> There's almost a gasp in the room of people already saying we call. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but um, I did want to talk about the American people. I really believe in the American people. And they are discouraged, downtrodden, frustrated. We have to provide solutions and empower the American people because when – American people are empowered. They get stuff done. Um, tonight was rhetoric, as my British friend would say. Oh, all this rhetoric. You know, dogma. <laughs> We've heard it before. We'll hear it again. Um, I want to give you guys some more updates on election stuff uh, next week because we're running out of time. I'm glad. Yeah, you know, we've got about 30 seconds, but i got to close it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad to hear everybody and different opinions and uh you know, there's quite a bit of agreement here in a lot of things. Let's see how – I think I'll close with a quote from uh, Mark Twain. Politicians and prostitutes, but I repeat myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you brought that one up before. And, yeah, thanks, every, uh, everyone, for uh, coming to the show. Certainly, sure. uh, you know, share this out uh, on your you know, your social media's email, think of that nature. You can find the link here on uh, Blog Talk Radio, and just you can search for uh, Bard's Logic Political Talk, and you can probably just even put that on DuckDuckGo and and find it, and you'll be able to you know get the link to, to show it for for folks for the podcast. Or if any, I mean, if they got you know iHeartRadio or you know, there's you know whatever, there's a lot of you know po- you know podcast apps out there you can find Bard's Logic on. So I'd really uh, appreciate that. But we'll see everyone next week, and. You know, again, go from there. But I will end tonight as I do with every night. Uh, don't know if I like this early night. I, I still think um, I, I like uh, the old format, which we will be back to next week, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time. So thanks, folks. Uh, we will see you next time, and uh, hope you have a good night. Take care. Good night. Be safe. Good night. Good night. Good night.